What's your intentions, Corncop? I mean to pack you in one minute, Briar. I see you smoked at Fort Virginia at Judge Burley's convenience. Which would you have? I think that's bold talk for aromatic shag blend. Fill your pipe, you son of a bitch. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everyone out in the pipe community. How are y'all doing? Mm-hmm. Time to get another Pipecast Thanksgiving Day special edition kicked off. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't noticed, we're a little full. Our pipes are packed to the brim. We're sucking down some warming spirits. Mm-hmm. Which we will, we will get into a little bit later as to all that business. So this episode is going to be very Thanksgiving themed. Yes. Uh, probably a little bit long on the long side, which is fine. And then yeah. we will probably be smoking potentially two bowls on this episode. Yeah, definitely. So I just don't see how we couldn't. Now, we've already been smoking a little bit before we kicked this off. Yeah, um, we've sort of, both of us uh, have cracked open, and it's no surprise if you've been following the Instagram post, we've cracked open some of the new Peterson Dunhill mixes. That's right. And what we are smoking tonight is Peterson's Nightcap. Yes. By the Scandinavian Tobacco Group. The same group who blended Dunhill Nightcap. The yeah. same blend. Mm -hmm. Potentially even the same 10 tobaccos that were originally supposed to be labeled Dunhill. Mm -hmm. But due to copyright and Dunhill deciding not to go forward with their naming mm -hmm. in the tobaccos uh, has made a quick switch to Peterson. Yes. Um, I don't know if we discussed this or if it's been discussed, but the Peterson brand, the pipe brand that everyone knows and loves, the workhorse briar that everyone usually cuts their teeth on in the briar community, uh, they, had a, they have a split between the uh, production of their tobacco and who controls that and the con production of their pipes and who controls that. So... It's the Peterson name is split between two companies, I believe. Isn't the people who were involved with, like, smoking pipes, aren't they part of the blend or the pipe? The pipe. The pipe. Okay. The blend, I believe, is... I'm not sure who's over the blend. Well, see, they, didn't they take their regular blends off the market for a little bit? Like, I, I was thinking there was a period of time where both... The Dunhill blends and the Peterson blends were both off of smoking pipes. Like, they were just all sold out. It was difficult to get three P's, Peterson's Perfect Plug. Mm -hmm. And I want to say, is it Killarney? I think that might have been difficult to... Sweet Killarney? Sweet Killarney. That it, I think that's what it And University Flake was difficult to mm -hmm. get. You, you, can, you should... It's never difficult to get Old Dublin or Irish whiskey, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Like, those are pretty easy to get at any time. But I think it was difficult to get University Flake 3Ps. 3Ps especially. I, I was seeing that stuff go like crazy. Uh, I, I've never had it. I've never let you have a bowl of it. Mm -mm, never had it. It's a shame. But um, sort of what we're doing, you know, like uh, Zach said, we're sort of sucking down some spirits while we smoke this bowl. Um, I'm breaking my rule. I normally don't drink while I smoke, but you know what? But Thanksgiving. Yeah, Thanksgiving. It's time to give thanks. So, um, in in way of the old, um, 
Zach is smoking a now technically Irish branded blend. Right. And an English Dunhill pipe. Right. While drinking some Scotch whiskey. So I got I got all the aisles together. Yeah. And I'm am being seclusive to just the Emerald Isle, mm-hmm. the best of the Isles. <laughs> and that's not even up for discussion, so just shut your mouth. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can't believe this Irishman's even speaking to me right now. Uh, I got my, my uh, oh, what is this thing called? This is my Peterson. I, I call it a Sherlock Holmes. It's not a Sherlock Holmes Peterson, but it just gives me the essence of Sherlock Holmes. I think it's a... a what is it called? I believe it's my Rocky. I think it's what it's called. Oh, it's a Dairy Rustic is what it is. It's got kind of a Calabashy look or kind of a Dublin-y look even. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if, if you've, you know, you've seen it before, if you've seen some of the Instagram posts, but that's what I have this nightcap in. And then I'm pairing it up with a nice Irish whiskey. So, um, you know, we're, we're two different boats here, um, but... Nightcap was one of the first, uh, probably the first introduction to an English blend that I'd ever had. Um, and I don't remember liking it too much because it was way, way early in the process. You know, when you're supposed to, a lot of people kind of come to it in a, through aromatics mm-hmm. via usually cigarette smoking or something to that nature. And uh, I remember a buddy of mine had uh it's kind of ironic though because i smoked dunhill nightcap in a peterson oh really yeah because that was my first briar oh yeah yeah you gave you gave it back and now it's kind of inverted like now we're smoking peterson nightcap in a dunhill (laughs) um but yeah so i uh i did i gave it back but he uh his first uh the first english one ever had was dunhill nightcap by scandinavian tobacco group when it came back on the market about in 2000 and i want to say 10. I feel like it came, it hit it, it had sort of fallen off and then it had a revival. Talking about Nightcap? That's right. I want to say I. No, it was on the market in 06. It disappeared. Yeah, yeah. And it came back in like 10 or 11. I think that's when it switched to the Scandinavian. Oh, so then I had a Murray's brand. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what I heard. I think uh, six, seven, somewhere in there is where where that stopped and they were gone for a while. Hmm. Uh, I think that's what I heard. But then I continued smoking it with no issues. And then somewhere along the way, I, uh, I think when everyone is, this, you know, so like I didn't really like it in the beginning. So it potentially was a Murray's blend. This would have been like 12 years ago. Mm. And then uh, somewhere along the way, I, I did kind of start taking two Englishes more so than aromatics I was starting to move out of that yeah into I think it's kind of a weird trajectory I think you go aromatic full English or light full English like a light English yeah and then I think you start to venture out into Virginia Periques and Burleys and stuff like that but like uh, so my first full English was uh, nightcap I did return to it then because you're in the I was in the world of discovering tobacco I mean, I smoked nightcap on and off, but then I was just too... It wasn't that it was bad. It was just that I hadn't smoked anything else. So, yeah. of course, I went to Artisan's Blend, and then yeah. I think Abingdon was next, and uh, man, I was smoking a lot of... Oh, I smoked a, I smoked so much of that Balkan Blue, that uh, 
uh, McClellan blend. Oh my goodness. I've not had a McClellan. And then uh, Meridian is a good alternative to that. I think Meridian's really good. Mm-hmm. We have a GLPs. I don't even know if Meridian's still made. I haven't seen it in so long. I mean, I haven't smoked it, seen it, etc. Yeah. At the time, it was amazing. And of course, I've since switched to, as far as like a dark kind of, I say dark, I mean, the tobacco's dark, but like a kind of robust English. I, I, I sort of am a quiet, nice guy. Yeah. But my, my go-to blend now is Chelsea Morning. Yeah, the more lighter um, of an English, or it's not it's not light, but it's you know, I guess its market is to be an early you know early morning kind of thing. I think it's interesting how much I've just taken to uh, peas. Yeah, Greg Peas's blends. Well, yeah, I mean when I first met you, or not when I first met you, when we first started smoking together, uh, I didn't feel I I didn't get a vibe that you were a fan of peas. Really, to be honest. Um, and it kind of wasn't. Like, I yeah. kind of never was. I've kind of always been a McClellan guy. They mm. fell away. I basically haven't... I didn't smoke for like a year after McClellan fell off. Uh, of course, you know, you. I'm, I mean, I smoke like, uh, you know, a lot of vapor coins like... Uh, Scudo. Uh, Scudo, um, uh, Deluxe Navy Rolls with Dunhill. Yeah. Of course, that disappeared i think it's back but still i mean that's what i was smoking there for a little while because i enjoyed those and then reiner gold i smoked it a lot uh, yeah but like i really you know after mcclellan fell off i didn't i, I never really went back to dunhill which was interesting hmm. and then it fell away and then just over the course of the last couple of i feel like peas has kind of helped fill a gap yeah a more turkish forward gap that i think i've been missing yeah. Because also with vapors, you, you you're a big fan of Fillmore, mm-hmm. um, which is crazy. I mean, I'm I'm not. It's not that I don't like Fillmore. It's just again, the peas is just coming in clutch for you. Um, it's funny though. You talk about the natural. We may have touched on this before, but the natural arc of a smoker, of a pipe smoker, usually it's cigarettes, and you'd make a transition into aromatics, and then you go to the full English, and you sort of venture out from there. You sort of find your home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've never been a cigarette smoker. I mean, not like a habitual. Like mm-hmm. I smoke when I drank college, things like that. Um, never been a dip, you know, chewing tobacco or a, a, a dip or anything like that. I, it's never been a thing. I, That's good because dip, dip will get you. Yeah. I mean, I've tried it back in high school. I played football for a couple of years, so naturally you're going to run into dip occasionally. A, a nice bus ride back with your stomach turning into knots from a football game. But... Uh, so, so, you know, when I got into the pipes via you, um, you know, we just went, we went headlong right into like English and vapors and burleys. And you think that that's probably a more appropriate way to to tackle it? I mean, I think it just depends. I mean, like I said, I, I wasn't a cigarette smoker, so I don't know if you could take a cigarette smoker and send them straight into English. Or, I mean, I guess you, you would, I guess really that... You would think it'd be easier for that person. Me, not being a big tobacco user at all, I went straight into English and no problem. I've only had one, so I've been smoking since December of last year, about a year. Right. And I've only had one encounter with like nicotine sickness, and that was like a full Virginia blend. Well, that's Virginia don't get on top of you. People don't believe me. They all think it's like these nightcaps or these things. It's like, yeah, they have a strong 
flavor. Yes. I mean, is the yes. best way I'd describe it. A very woodsy, earthy flavor. But in, I mean, even if you smoke them pretty wild, I mean, they still have a kind of a saline, yes, woodsy kind yeah. of thing going on. But I never felt that they were very no, just uh, nicotine heavy. That well, would knock you down. When we did tobacco,ology. I didn't find out this out till later, but you know we went head we went head first in, and of course Artisan Blend came out the winner, mm-hmm. um, which right now it and Nightcap are sort of battling each other, and I'll get into that a little bit later about as far as what I like um, or which one I would prefer. But I didn't find this out till later that like supposedly Artisan's a little bit tougher supposedly than Nightcap, like it's got more it's got more of a hit. And I just went in, you know, guns blazing. Like it, it didn't affect me at all. We were, you know, we were smoking bowls of it, and that's what I've been smoking ever since. Like this big hiatus we took. Mm-hmm. If I've been smoking, it's been arson blend. Arson uh, blend is good though. It is. It is incredible. Now, so what I was alluding to earlier about getting back into your opinion of Fillmore versus other vapors of the like, like Elizabethan and um, uh, Stratford and Telegraph Hill is that Fillmore has more going on. It's more zest, it's got more pop, and that's what you want. Right. But see, that's how I feel about Artisan's Blend to Nightcap. There's more zest, more pop going, but now that I've been smoking a lot more Nightcap this month, um, I'm sort of like, I may not always want all that zest and pop, you know. I may want a little, you know. The thing about Cyprian and Syrian Latakia is, is that they will even in trace amounts, overtake something. Interesting thing about Fillmore, apparently it has Latakia in it. Really? At least that's the rumor, which I think is interesting. Well, do they put it on the, is it on the label? No, it's not on the label at all. But if you look at tobacco reviews, not only have people said that they can taste trace amounts of Latakia, but it's also listed in the ingredients. On tobacco reviews? That's right, dot com. I wonder what Pease has to say about this. I don't know. About the rumor being that there is a lot of Kia. He might have commented. If Pease has commented, y'all let us know on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, that's I'd like to know if it has a in it. It's not a lot. The interesting thing is, is I pick up a very heavy Tabasco-y smell. On Fillmore? On Fillmore. That's right. We were talking about that last week sometime. So, mm, the Tabasco smell could be in part due to the Latakia. But I mean, it, it remains to be seen because you'd have to really, uh, I've smelled weird things before in blends. I don't, have the, I don't have the best smeller in the world, so. McBaron and the, and the ketchup smell, mm-hmm. that's, that's famous, you know. I smelled a little bit, I could understand what you're getting at. There, I don't know if it's like full blown, there's a hint, there's a hint of Tabasco. I mean, I, now would I have smelt it if you hadn't told me? Maybe not. I might not have picked it out. But now that you've told me that, I sort of... So, I mean, take that with a grain of salt as far as me saying that. But um, Well, I mean, some things are suggestible. Some yeah. things I think you can pick up on. And if anything, you could at least probably picked up on some pepper, which denotes, I think, Perique. But I feel like that's usually a part of the retro hill and less so in just a regular inhale. Kind of like a sniff test. You just mentioned it. I have not retro-held nightcap, so I just did, and that's pretty, I like that a lot. Like at all, you haven't retro-held it? Mm-mm, not, not since I've been smoking it. I've just sort of been, 
doing the breath method. It's it's got a nice, it's got a real nice retro feel. Mm-hmm. Ooh. The thing is, it's very. Mm. <clears throat> you know, it's it's a very steady blend. I'll say that. Yeah, I like it a lot. You know, and we talked about this jokingly before the podcast, but I mean. Maybe I'm being clouded by Irish bias, but I mean, I like this. I mean, I'm, I had nev- I'd never had Nightcap as it was branded Dunhill. I'd only ever had Elizabethan branded as Dunhill. All right. And, um, you know, even so, I sort of got a different feeling about it mm-hmm. now. I mean, and that's, and there's, I mean, there's no lying about that. It's sometimes appearance and and exterior factors affect, you know, taste and um, and you, what you expect out of something. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and at the end of the day, what does it really matter? Whether or not you like it more or less now. Only it matters to you. If you're enjoying it more now, then, hey, all to you. Because I'm enjoying the nightcap. My only, con- my only negative, and this is a super small thing that a lot of people probably be like, well, you're being a little bitch about it, but <laughs> the, the the Peterson Dunhill blends definitely stay on your breath longer when it's when you're done with it. Um, you know, you when you're done with it, like I could smoke at noon, like on a, uh, any old day, and at 11 o'clock that night, laying in bed, I taste it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've brushed my teeth twice, Three times, flossed, water picked, whatever, mouthwash, everything, and it's still there. So, it's probably because it's in, the, in your nasal cavities to a certain extent. Maybe so. Well, you know, even like you know, Anne will smell it on me too. So. Oh well. Like 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 she won't really notice it until like, excuse us, we got a an ups truck coming by. Uh, oops. Um, like you know, if, we, if I like a kiss or whatever, she'd be like, "You smoked pipe, didn't you?" I'm like, man, that was freaking 12 hours ago. You, well, I mean, that's the thing. It's a little bit more pungent. A lot more. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, that, and that's been the case with both Elizabethan and, and uh, Nightcap, you know. Um, wait a dang a minute. I had, I had Navy, Navy, Navy rolls. That's right. You did. I did. And, you know, and I, I enjoyed those. But again, at that point in time, when, when I had it, we were sort of comparing it with a Scudo and things like that. It, you know, sort of saying that for the money, it, it's almost the same thing. Um, Scudo is amazing. I'm going to do another comparison of the same two again just because I, I just feel like I have to do one more comparison under the new naming convention. Yes. It's, it's deserving. <clears throat> but, you know, I, I don't still think there's a lot of difference between a Scudo and Navy Deluxe Rolls, the Dunhill branded one. Well, did we ever find out if a Scudo was blended by... Uh, uh, Scandinavian Tobacco Group. Mm-hmm. I believe it is. Well, then, I mean, there you go. I mean, I mean, it was minimal, the difference. Now, granted, again, I am a one-year-old pipe smoker, and this was back when I was only like a five-month pipe smoker. Um, you know, and, and naturally, with time, you start to pick up on things more. Um, I'll look at that. We're looking at a picture of a Scudo right there. And at the basis, Scandinavian Tobacco Group. There you go. 
it'd be hard. I'd be hard pressed to say that it wasn't the same, personally. Yeah. But. But yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm excited. I'm glad the Dunhills are back. Even if maybe I don't smoke them a lot, I know it's something that, um, you know, a lot of people really enjoyed and really wanted back. Now, I've seen that some people apparently claim that they can taste a difference between this this new Peterson branded, and I don't see how that can be the case. But, you know, again, to each, you know, everything is relative. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. Ever since the fact that they put a freaking gold and white striped dress on the internet and half the people in this world saw that it was black and blue makes me question everything I see from here on to the end of eternity. Because I saw a gold and white dress. And um, how anybody got black and blue out of that, I do not know. So, um, again, taking that and taking it to taste, I mean, taste is just, I mean, it's a a thing. Every body is different. Everybody has gone through different things in their life and, you know, had different experiences and you know a lot of times the taste really has as as dumb as this statement is sometimes the taste of something has nothing to do with how you taste it if that makes sense you know texture a lot of times is a big deal um, um, I guess past experience with something similar um, and like placebo you know like if you even think that something like this dish has something you don't like in it you're gonna find it in it even if it don't like if you don't like onions, and you try something, and you think, you know, you go in thinking, I think there might be onions in that. I better, I better watch out. You're gonna taste onions, even if they ain't in there. Just like, what was that time you had that congealed blood and that stew? Yeah, yeah, and you didn't know it, did you? I didn't know it, but the problem was, see, Ann messed up, because she gave me a spoonful of just a bunch of stuff, like most soups and Asian dishes, you're not getting one thing. Like, you're getting a bunch of stuff. And I tried it, and I was like, there is nothing in here that I don't like. The mixture, the you know, everything took together didn't bother me. But then she said, yeah, yeah, there's like a congealed blood in there, dried blood cubes, and I'm like, yeah, don't ever feed me that again. <laughs> Which is really weird because I've always been a staunch, staunch person when it comes to you know, seeing people like try like something, like try food, they eat it, and then they tell them, yeah, you know, that's monkey balls. And they like throw up. And I'm like, but you were fine before they told you that. Mm-hmm. What's changed? But, you know, now I'm, I've gotten older and I've gotten a little bit, not wiser, but a little bit more aware that things are just different, you know. The human mind is a weird thing. Yeah, I mean, it, I'll try anything. The hardest thing I've ever tried was that blue. Good lord! Oh, the blue. Yep. Mm. Yeah, my um, fiance. Again, as everybody knows, is from Vietnam, and they have a typical uh, or very standard dish known as balut, which is a partially formed duck egg. Um, now you know it's. Now, the interesting backstory to this. Go ahead. Go ahead. Is that I, I will try absolutely anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, at, like, if you put it in front of me, I'm probably going to eat it, and I'm probably going to love it. Yes. Uh, I remember going to a Korean restaurant, and they had these little minnows, is all I can say, little fish that they fried. Mm-hmm. And my uh, Korean friend, half Korean, said I wouldn't like them. 
And I was like, well, I'll try it anyway. And uh, I ended up eating almost the entire bowl. And I think they're basically just a garnish. Now, I'm an anchovy lover. <laughs> and I've also eaten sardines. Sardines are a little bit difficult to eat for me. Not that they're necessarily bad. They're just something some about sardines and me just don't. I think I don't like the pressure cook where you eat the bones and all sometimes. Yeah. Like, it's okay. They don't crunch, really. But they just have, there's just something about it, like mush bones. I'm just not yeah. 100% on top of it. But, yeah. like, it's fine. But that's where we're getting into the balloon. Yes. I don't like crunchy meat, personally. Unless it's got golden, crispy, deep-fried goodness all around mm-hmm. it. Now, here's the thing about balloon. It's got golden duckbill on it, but it ain't got no golden crispiness on it. So I mean, when that thing got fixed up for me, man, it, I swore I was never going to try that. Because I'd seen it before. Yeah. It's a... Southeast Asian delicacy. Mm -hmm. I know they eat it in the Philippines. And uh, I was like, never, ever, ever can I eat that. Funny thing was, Anne convinced me. And I mean, you liked, I mean, you didn't like it. You tried it. Well, what bugged me about it was that she goes, we're going to make it. She she has to set it up. So she, she cooked the egg, you know, and then she pulled out the duck embryo thing put it on a spoon, added lemon juice, pepper, salt, a slice of lime or something to it, and she goes, eat it like this. I said, well, I definitely ain't eating a duck. I mean, no wonder you guys have to dress it up, man. <laughs> it's like oysters, man, uh, when you dress up an oyster. But I'll eat an oyster. Just yeah. I'll just eat an oyster. Yeah, yeah. I like hot sauce on it, but I mean, I'll just yeah. eat an oyster. I, I've come around to them, at least with the char, charbroiled. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I had one one time with just hot sauce on it, and that was fine. It's, again, it's the texture. It's a little too chewy for me. I know some people really don't like them, and that's fine. And I can at least understand it because it, this is disgusting, but it is sort of like swallowing a luggy. Yeah. You know, it just kind of slides back. But See, I guess I didn't know that at the time I was chewing it. I'm like, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to just, you know. Yeah, I just slurp, slurp it down. It's almost like it's, it's like eating Jello. Hmm. But, but yeah, I mean, we got way down a rabbit hole in that. That was not what we planned to talk about. Um, before we get into Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) You know what, we're talking about food, so in a way, we're on topic. We're on topic. Um, all right. Um, well here, yeah, well yeah, before we get into that, um, we just had a little bit of like, not housekeeping, just a little bit of things, just. You know, we like to say what's going on in our lives and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, so I figured we'd just talk a little bit about how everything is going with you and uh, being Mr. Daddy all of a sudden. No, that's good. I mean, I think the thing that about being a father that can be frustrating is, is that <clears throat> there is a, some people call it a colic, uh, which is, uh, and there's all these different terms for it. Some people call it the witching hour. There's this thing that's been happening here from 5 to 8 o'clock, which is exactly when I pick up my daughter to when my wife gets home. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I get her, I mean, when as soon as I touch her, basically, she starts crying. And that girl does not stop crying until mama gets home. So for three hours a day after my job ends, mm-hmm. I've got a kid screaming in my face for three hours. Now, she chills. She sleeps in the night. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, it could be worse is what I'm getting at, but mm-hmm. good grief, like clockwork. It's almost as if like a, uh, 
anyway, it, it can be frustrating that all you see, you see her in other people's arms smiling, basically, and then you get her and she's just like, I don't want to be around you. Yeah. But they say it's it's uh, this weird thing with colic that could be like baby migraines where they just like screech, man. Like I've never heard her scream like this before. Mm. And you just kind of like try to ride it out. She was actually pretty good about it today. And they say they grow out of it within the first six months. Now we're on week 11, 12. So I got a ways to go if she's still got it. But, you know, it's manageable. It's just, it can be frustrating when you just want her to be happy. Now on Saturday and Sunday, totally fine. Like because I get to see her majority of the day when she's yeah. fine. But it's like when you only have like a three hour, well, we'll say four hour block. And that hour in the morning, she's just happy as a clam. Oh, and yeah. then the three hours that you get her, she's just screaming. And also because she's comfortable with her mother, when mommy walks in and says, hey, she, she quiets up. Yeah. So it's like this weird thing where it's like you're trying to bond with your kid. And the three hours of trying to bond is her screaming and you're just tending to her. Because even last night, like, when I pushed her legs up, I mean, she pretty much ripped like a man it was ridiculous like I was like that's probably what's bothering you and then she called me up for a second I was like ah I resolved it then she freaked out again and I was like well I guess this is just the burden of being a, a dad yeah yeah well other than that though, I mean it seems like y'all are making it real well yeah we I mean we we don't I don't dislike being a dad yeah I dislike it that my daughter seems to be unhappy at the same time every day specifically the time that I pick her up it can be frustrating but it's not something that like you need to dwell on too much yeah because i think then you can kind of get like you can sort of develop a anxiety about being a bad parent Mm -hmm. it's just kids are difficult and they change but they're wonderful to be with so outside of that it's just work and you know i've been reading uh i've been reading a book uh, I'm not going to tell you guys the title because this will be the topic of conversation for next month. Yep. Uh, it is Christmas related. That's about as good as I'm going to give you. But uh, there'll be some interesting things that come out of our Christmas holiday special in December. And if this Thanksgiving goes any uh, any way like I think it will, y'all are in for a treat because we're probably going to get wild in mm-hmm. this episode. Uh so uh, just a little bit more before we get into it. Um, I have recently, I'm about a year late and $40 short. Uh, I finally bought the Red Dead Redemption 2 game. <laughs> I have been working my way through that. And How then, do you like it? I enjoy it. I mean, I, again, I I never once would have considered myself a gamer growing up. You know, I am... Um, which is weird because it seems like the gaming culture is so weird now. Like it's so many people, and it's so serious. Um, but like me growing up, like I played like a couple sports games. I might have, may have played a little bit of like Call of Duty, like zombies and crap like that. But like I was really just like I'm gonna play a football game. I'm gonna you know like play a whole season, like a whole dynasty as a coach or something like that. So this is the first time I'm like really being serious about working a campaign and doing every little bit, you know and uh, and you know it's a good game to get into to do that because there's so much you can do. Um, uh, will I do everything? I don't know. Um, we'll see. But um, 
you know, I'm sort of enjoying that a little bit. That's a lot of fun. Um, also, uh, this is actually a shock to me. Me and you both have started watching a show um, that I did not have any interest in watching. Uh, not because I'm not a fan of this stuff, just because I didn't know whether or not I was going to get Disney+. Plus. <laughs> and then I did not think you would be involved because you're not the biggest Star Wars guy. But that is The Mandalorian. That is a... Okay, so <laughs> to clarify the I'm not a big Star Wars guy, which is kind of like this weird... With everything with me, there's no simple path, it seems yes. like. Yes, yes. To, to say that I'm not a Star Wars guy, and then to talk to me about Star Wars, you would definitely not have any idea that I wasn't one. You, you, you have the knowledge. I definitely have the knowledge. I, I'm relatively not you know, supremely versed in Star Wars. Um, pretty much raised on it with TV. My parents really didn't care for it. My uncle was a huge fan. Mm-hmm. Had a same, massive, same here. massive Star Wars collection. Yep. I think his was insured for like $150,000. Really? I, he had real Jawa costumes from the A New Hope. Really? You know, yeah. Uh, prototype toys, prototype toys. Like super wow. rare. Uh, wow. I went to a convention with him and watched him deal in toys and stuff. Uh, the first Fangoria magazine that yeah. I ever saw was at a comic book shop while he was trying to bargain for, uh, it was the, is it the Bantha, God, let's see, I say that and then I forget, but I think it's the, the Basfa or Bantha tank that Luke was in after he got attacked by uh, the uh, Wampa. Oh, yeah, 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 I don't know what it's, it's something like that. Yeah, so I watched him, you know, uh, what is it called? Haggle over a Luke Skywalker and the uh, that tank. How big was it? Uh, just you know, very standard sized toy. I don't oh, think okay. it was unrealistic. It, it, it was. This was in the early to mid nineties, mm-hmm. so you know, uh, I don't think it was a new toy. I think it was a probably an eighty one. Yeah, you know, I'm sure eighty eighty one. Yeah point is is that I've I've seen all the Star Wars. I went to most of the Star Wars films with my uncle. Uh, he and I still talk about it. We'll be talking about it on Friday about uh, yeah. The Mandalorian, I'm sure. I'm almost positive. The point yeah. to all that is is that over the course of my life, I have not... I've watched a lot of stuff and Star Wars just really wasn't covering it anymore. Like yes. in turn, I know people who return to it, return to it, return to it and love it and that's great. I'm not going to knock anybody for liking something, but there was just something about it that it just didn't really fill. I had too much of a void. I needed more story. I needed more yeah. substance. I just doesn't cover it. Yeah. However, the missing link here is that while the void of film wasn't covered by Star Wars, there was a secondary sub-void that wasn't getting covered at all, and that is the Western. Yeah. And that's where we get to the Mandalorian. Yes. I love the Mandalorian. Uh, okay, before I get into that, my Star Wars is like, I'm, I've always enjoyed Star Wars. I, you know, I grew up on them. Like, I grew up around the time, like, when I was really, like, sort of becoming self, not self-aware, but aware of things and being interested in things. Um, you know, I guess it's around the time you get, like, 10 or 12 or something like that. Like, you start, you start like, really, like, finding out what you like. Um, I mean, it still it still grows as you get older. But like anything before ten, like I don't know, like 
I couldn't tell you anything that I did. But, uh, you know, around that time was about the time that the THX releases came out. Um, and, you know, I, I, I remember just watching watching those like crazy, um, watching, watching uh, a, a New Hope and all that. Uh, and then, of course, boom, Phantom Menace comes out. And I remember going to see that with my uncle. Uh -huh. And so even though now as an older person, I understand that that movie has a lot of flaws, it's very nostalgic for me. I mean, I, I love Liam Neeson. I love the Darth Maul fight scene, Duel of the Fates, all that stuff, the pod racing. Um, I've never, I've never been one to like hate on Jar Jar Binks. I feel like Jar Jar Binks is like Nickelback. People hate on him just because it's cool to do it. Um, I mean, he's not the best character, but I don't think he's awful. I actually find Yoda more annoying in the Empire Strikes Back than Jar Jar and Phantom Menace. Mm. That's a very controversial topic. Um, well, yeah, one's a play and one isn't. You know, they Jar Jar are. is legitimately a silly character. Yes, throughout. Yeah. And I think that's why I was more annoyed with Yoda. It's like, dude, I understand the point. It's to teach patience to Luke. But I'm like, just get get on with it, dude. Like, just, we, I mean, and, and really, I'm giving it, I'm not doing it justice because, of course, I've watched the movie a thousand times. But it's like, listen, we know what you're doing. Just hear Yoda. Tell him you're Yoda. Let's get on with it. Let's get on with it. Um, whereas, like, Jar Jar never was intended to be serious. So it's sort of like I can, I can just brush him to the side. Right. Um, and so, like, I don't get upset that he's there. It's just, he's a side character. Mm -hmm. he, he just, he's there for comic relief, even though it doesn't, it doesn't land. Um, it doesn't land for an adult. Yeah. But, I think kids still find that funny. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he, he's basically the Kramer of Star Wars. Like, he just comes in for comic relief. Like he, He's he, also pretty gangly and just kind of lopes yeah. along. Yeah, and, and what's, what's crazy... I, uh, if you look at something like the behind-the-scenes footage, the guy that they hired to do the motion capture for him, like worked on that. Like he, like he did a lot for that. He wanted. That's what he was told to do. He's like, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give him my all. And he's sort of been crapped on ever since for it. And it's like, I mean, you see they, the voice as well. I don't know if he was the voice, but um, uh, but, but getting back on track. I've always been like a big Star Wars fan, but like you know, I've read one or two comics uh, since Marvel took it over and and has made that part canon, or not Marvel Disney, but then Marvel made the comics. I've read several Marvel comics. Uh, I've never watched much of like the cartoons. I'm trying to watch a little bit more of Clone Wars to learn a little bit more about the Mandalorians. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I, you know, I've always been a big fan of Star Wars now. The last, um, ever since Disney got them, it has been a little bit of a roller coaster. You know, I, I enjoyed The Force Awakens because I understood that it was a necessity. Uh, the prequels happened and it, they were not well loved, so you had to play it safe. Force Awakens comes out, just rehashing A New Hope. That's fine. It's what they had to do. Right. I understand that. Rogue One comes out. We differ on this. I love Rogue One. It, it is a lot of exposition, which is a little annoying. But I enjoy the visuals a lot. We, we, you, you know this if you've listened to us for any amount of time that I'm a cinematic guy. You're more of a story guy. I am very much story driven. Um, now, I don't to, like things that do not make sense. Yeah. Like in a film, something. I'll give you a great example of that. In Rogue One, when they're going to the father, the weapons expert's house. Yeah. 
they land like good grief, like seven football fields away, and then walk up. Now it's a pretty shot, but if I have a spaceship, I'm not walking anywhere if I don't have to. Yeah, and I'm with you on that. It's something as simplistic as that, and then the same thing. It's like, you know, they. Darth Vader literally sees the freighter get away at the end of Rogue One. Literally watches the exact ship go away. Then he shows up in episode four, A New Hope, and he's just like, where are those plans at? And she's like, this is a diplomatic ship. It's like, is it? Because I just watched you fly off. I killed like 30 of your dudes. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know, it's just this weird thing where if it would have been a smaller ship or an escape pod, it could have just thought it out just a little bit more yes, and have it at rendezvous or something like that. But they didn't. They they made it more complicated. It actually could have been a more daring thing, but they made it more complex than it actually... Yeah. Or they could have made it a little bit more complex, like it was, as long as the structure's concerned. And then they ended up making it look silly and almost negating the first film. Yeah. And that that's where Even I... Even though they were trying issues. to back it up right to right. it. Yeah, uh... And, you know, and then aside from that, you know, uh, The Last Jedi, you know, had a lot of problems. Um, I had problems with it, but not really the problems that most people had with it. I, I don't mind the story. I, uh, it could have been better. My biggest thing is dialogue. I mean, you, you spend so much money. You, I mean, you're Disney, okay? Now, granted, again, we may differ on this. Marvel has pretty decent dialogue. Like, it's, if, you, if you watch a DC film and then you watch a Marvel film the dialogue is 10 times better now is the dialogue in a Marvel film as good as Scorsese probably not right but but again it's still I wouldn't even say probably not I'd just say it's not but yeah well yeah needless to say though it's still it's still passable dialogue it services the film that's for sure but why do you they just dropped the ball with The Last Jedi it was some of the worst dialogue I'd ever heard. Well, it's because Ryan Johnson wrote the whole thing with very minimal, probably, oversight to him. And then another thing, too, that's interesting about Ryan Johnson is he's, he's not a bad... He gets a bad rap for a film that is really a burden in and of itself. Yeah. It, just Star Wars is just... I mean, if I was a filmmaker, I don't know if I would ever take on the task of trying to appease so many different sets of people because so many people seem to be so invested in it from childhood to another generation's childhood yes to a new generation's childhood to a new generation who wants to be more progressive and they want a more complicated almost political stance and then another one that just really wants the joseph campbell hero of a thousand faces sort of generic good versus evil with you know, the candy coating veneer, I guess, of yeah. of just action, yes. you know? There's too much going on there. But if you look at old Ryan Johnson uh, interviews, I mean, he clearly states on numerous occasions that he is a writer that takes a particularly long time. He can never run on a deadline. Well, what's he on when he's working for Disney? Deadline. A very stringent yep. deadline. And it shows. Yeah. You know, and, I, I, I think this this would have been, uh, Disney's a little strange in that you have the money, you know, really the director doesn't need to be a maverick necessarily. You just need something to be serviceable. So what do you do? You you get a Kevin Feige producer-esque person yeah. 
I guess that could be Kathleen Kennedy, but it doesn't appear to be working with her. Yeah. But you get someone akin to that, and then you hire professional writers yeah. to assist you. I mean, look at the Marvel. Nope. Shane Black is probably their highest name, biggest name director that that's in the Marvel universe. You know, like. Well, I guess Favreau now. But, I mean, before he did Iron Man, was he really well-known as a director? He was an independent director. He'd done some, he'd done some interesting things, but nothing nothing to... Iron Man was a gamble. I mean, like, yeah. people don't realize that Iron Man is a Tier 3 superhero. It was all they had left. Yeah, I mean, they were like... You're talking about, like... They called him, like... Buckethead, like I mean, he wasn't like even in the comics community. I mean, oh, it's yeah. like Spider-Man, Hulk, Wolverine, and Wolverine then big time. But like, you know, you don't look at Iron Man as really anything. Favreau and yeah. and Robert Downey Jr. really created a whole the Iron Man yeah. vehicle, really. Well, because Iron Man in the comics prior to Robert Downey Jr. was not like that. He no. wasn't as eccentric. He was more of like a a Reed Richards kind of character, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, um, except he's a drunk. Yeah, that was really about it. Um, but yeah, like, like, you know, the biggest movies, I mean, the biggest movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe were two guys who only had experience in TV and came out of nowhere. You're right. And then did one of, did my favorite Marvel movie, Winter Soldier, and then from there on just carried it on, did, did what they did. Um, uh, but... But all that's besides the point. The, really, the, the Last Jedi had its problems. And then you have Solo, which was actually a, a very good film. It just, there was fatigue. Fatigue was setting in. It was six, five to six months after The Last Jedi with all that backlash. It came on the heels of uh, Avengers Infinity War. So, I mean, it had a lot, you know, the, the bad timing. The deck was stacked, which is interesting that it was stacked... As heavily as it was from the same company, that's what kills me. It's like yep. you thought that you're going to double down on something yeah. like this. Like you must be high. Which, if the Last Jedi had been a success, they'd have been fine. I think they were banking on the Last Jedi being a success. Still can move dates. Yeah, I know. I mean, they should have. At the end of the day, no matter what had happened with the Last Jedi. But what happened was is that your two gigantic vehicles for Disney, in this case, Marvel being one and then the second one is pixar and i think pixar had something coming out in july they usually yeah i think they do so you can't you know where do you put where does star wars fit well that's why star wars should be in the winter you know always i don't know why they made a smart decision and then they made a really dumb decision but like you said with all the fan backlash they try to reconvert it to may which is silly considering you've got the market cornered with marvel I mean, no Marvel comes out in December. December's not a Marvel month. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and and so with this Rise of Skywalker, of course, you, you can tell very heavily it's an attempt to right the ship in a certain direction. Um, and, it, and, you know, I could, be eat, I could be eating crow because there's a lot of theories I've watched where it sort of was all planned in a way, but we'll see how that goes. Um, my biggest problem with Ryan Johnson is... Um, Really, and it makes sense that he would do this. His defense of his movie post the criticism is sort of just dumb. Like he, he like keeps talking about like how The Empire Strikes Back was not a popular movie until the '90s, which is complete total horseshit. 
it won the People's Choice Award movie of 1980. And you know what? how many movies came out in 1980? Or what movies there were? They shit. Mm. You had The Shining. You had, um, well, there's a lot more. <laughs> uh, there was a lot more. I just can't remember. I know, I know The Shining was in there. Indiana, one of the Indiana yeah, Jones movies one of the, came out. Yeah, one of the Indiana Jones movies. Um, had gone, there was, man, there was about 20 movies that came out that's just like, those are pretty good movies. Like, um, oh, I mean, look at 82. 82, I'm going to name three movies. E.T., The Extraterrestrial, yeah. Blade Runner, yeah. and The Thing. Yeah. And the one that came out on top was E.T., now naturally because the other two were literally panned. Mm-hmm. But those are incredible films. So, yeah. I mean, the contenders for 82 alone. Yeah. But that, then that's the and point. then that's what shows like critically panned, you know? Yeah. But that, and that's the point I'm trying to make is that the one that won People's Choice Award was The Empire Strikes Back. And so in, in trying to defend his movie... He falls on saying, hey, uh, you know, imagine if Empire came out today. It wouldn't have been well-received either, just like it wasn't then. It's like everybody loved it, okay? People loved Empire. So, like, that's my only problem with Ryan Johnson. It's like, dude, I understand you're trying to defend your movie, but just own own it. You know, just, just be like, stop trying to shift blame. <clears throat> it's a difficult thing. Like I said, like, the situation he was put in, you know, I can play a little devil's advocate. I think it's a terrible movie. The Last Jedi? Yeah, oh, mm-hmm. terrible. Mm-hmm. I, I just do not like any part of it at all. But that has nothing to do with any message. I just think it's poorly written. I just don't make it. Half of it doesn't make sense. Now the me. silent scene. I love the silent scene. You're talking the, about when the ship goes to the other yeah. ship. The reason why I like it is because the part that always takes me out of Star Wars is that you can hear the blasters in space. There is no sound in space. Cut that crap off. So the fact that there was a moment where I get that things went also, through. It, I mean, there's so much suspension of disbelief at that point. There's no, I mean, you yeah, couldn't, you know, at but that point, I guess, it doesn't matter. I guess that what I'm getting at is it was a moment where I got something I wanted this whole time, and mm-hmm. I enjoyed that scene a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying it should always, well, I mean, if I had my choice, it would be, but you're right, there is a suspension of belief, and, you know, I'm fine with it, but then that happened, I'm like, this is incredible. See, you can do this. The one thing I can criticize Ron Johnson for is just that, like, He's attacking people that aren't critics, which I find interesting. That shows to me that you have very thin skin. You know, that aren't critics? That aren't critics. Well, that's I mean, because the critics to... gave him like a 100% score. So at that point, why do you care? <laughs> yeah. You see what I'm saying? In other words, if it was critically lauded, then should you be responding to people who do not like it? To I... me, it shows that he probably... I don't like doing like armchair psychology on someone, but he probably is a little sensitive about it because he himself probably doesn't like it. Yeah. That could mean that there was some extensive studio, uh, studio tampering. And perhaps that that is showing in his response to, you know, well, the, the audience or to like sort of sophomore critic. I don't even know what you'd call it, but like, his response is very juvenile, considering. Yeah. yeah. And that's uh, that's kind of a cumbersome thing. Like, why would you even, I wouldn't even go to task on anything like that, especially if I was critically lauded by, and praised. Like, it just seems strange. And, you know, that's the thing, too. It's it's like, um, why, but, didn't, why didn't J.J. Abrams just, just, just do the second film? You know, what, what, what was the deal there? You I know? think... It, I think a lot of it has to do with tradition. I don't think outside of Lucas, anyone had consecutive directing. 
Yeah. You know, the first three, it was George Lucas and then, uh, I can't think of their names, but the, there were two other directors. Oh, oh, there was, there was different directors in the prequels? Uh, no, for the original three. And I think they went back to that. The original three were not directed by, four, five, and six were not directed by George Lucas. Mm. Four was, and then five and six were directed by other people, and Lucas just produced. And then Lucas did the prequels. That's correct. Gotcha. Um, to point, <laughs> back to point, uh, The Mandalorian is a neo-Western, and it is very interesting. Yeah. Um, it's quick. It's succinct. Yeah, it just, it really gets, it, it kind of gets you going. There's not as much force uh, kind of spiritualism in it. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. It just like, I just feel like it really cuts to the narrative by being like a neo-Western, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's essentially the man with no name uh, in space. Yep. Uh, he, he, he doesn't even have a name. He doesn't remove his helmet. It has a very Judge Dredd kind of sensibility to it mixed with some Sergio Leone, man with no name. And the guy's called Mando, short for Mandalorian. We, we don't know what his name is. Yeah. And we've never seen his face. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And the fact that... Um, um, well, I don't even know where I was going with that. I lost it as soon as I got it. But, you know, you're saying, like, it's... Man with no name. It's... it's God. I don't know. I mean, it's good. I mean, it's just... There's there's no fluff. It's just story. You know? Oh, oh I was going to say, there's a lot of fan service, too. The fact that it is so quick, there's no fluff, it still is able to give a lot of fan service, especially a lot to the uh, Star Wars a hol- a Holiday Special. There's a lot to that, mm. and that's pretty cool. But there's so much references to stuff. And like, and you can tell because uh, Filoni and Favreau know what they're talking about. They know Star Wars. And mm. so that's, that, that helps a lot. I think before the end of the day, maybe another trilogy that comes along, I think Favreau would be a good guy to tackle it. Probably, and I think the reason for that is is that J.J. Abrams, to his credit, created A New Hope, and it worked for the fans. A lot of people loved uh, The Force Awakens. Yeah. Okay. But what J.J. Abrams is doing is he takes something that exists and remakes it, mm-hmm. right? What Favreau did is he took something that he loved and made something that he loved out of something else. Uh, very similar to what George Lucas did. George Lucas took old uh, Flash Gordon films and plastered them over Akira Kurosawa films and essentially created Star Wars. Yeah. What Favreau has done is he's taken the love of old Star Wars films and plastered them over Spaghetti Westerns. Ironically, Spaghetti Westerns are also an imitation of Akira Kurosawa yeah. films. But, so, I mean, you sort of like have a... Uh, what is it called? Uh, uh, not Cinedoge. It's a simulation, simulacra. Copies of copies of copies yeah. of copies of copies. And it's yeah. sort of muddled the original, but like it's there. The yeah. blueprints of like what that Western, what that samurai film was, yeah. is, is ingrained in the film DNA. Yes. Um, might take someone of a little bit more scholarly merit to like pinpoint all the little intricacies inside. Mm the spaghetti neo samurai western space opera yeah but like they're all there and i think that's pretty fascinating and i think that's what makes in a sense mandalorian successful and i hope that they move forward with the obi-wan television series yeah i think that'd be good 
uh, something similar to that where you kind of have this thing that we're familiar with as in Star Wars covered with something that they truly love. So I think yeah. Trevor truly loves Clint Eastwood films. Yeah. And I think that that's what he's doing is he's plastering a, a, a Western with the veneer of Star Wars. And I think it, it works. Uh, yeah. Oh, The it, problem it, yeah. with, with Abrams, to a certain extent, Ryan Johnson is, is, well, Johnson's problem, I think, is that he kicked against the curb. He didn't want to be so known. I think it, it kind of messed with him. Uh, he didn't want anyone to be able to predict his interpretation of anything. Abrams just literally wanted to create Star Wars again. Yeah. But there's nothing interesting or sort of unseen about it. That's what made Mandalorian so interesting. Yeah. You've always seen Boba Fett, and like I call him like Magoo Fett because he Mr. Magoo's right into the Sarlacc pit. But yeah. like, he's a punk. He he doesn't really. He doesn't really say, I feel like he's not, he's like, okay, he's kind of clever. Also, he blew up and fell into a starlight fizz, like, it doesn't really, doesn't really seem like someone who's just, you know, there was a film that was talking about him, he's all style, no substance. I definitely agree with that sentiment. And I think you're dead on about taking something and plastering it over something you love, and it works. Because you can tell, not only is that working with Mandalorian, but this past uh, summer, well, you know, early fall, we saw that in uh, on the on the big screen with Joker. I mean, it was just the Joker character plastered over, you know, Taxi Driver or the King of Comedy. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's all it was. So when it you works. Have something like that. I think it gives it a little bit more. It gives it a little bit more oomph mm-hmm. uh, because perhaps audiences aren't as as schooled in it. And it, I mean, technically, it sort of happened with James Gunn. I mean, he took a mar- mar- bunch of Marvel misfit characters that nobody cared about, nobody knew about, and put put it on Star Wars. That's right. And I you mean, got Guardians. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Guardians is just like kind of a, the new Star Wars. I mean, I consider yeah. it the new Star Wars. I think in 30 years, if Marvel or the superhero bubble bursts, I think in 30, 40 years, there'll be a revival and you'll have like this sort of the horde laden fans who are just like this is marvel versus you know this new wave of kids who see it completely differently or new adults who see it completely differently yeah um well we'll um we're gonna take a short little break here and refill our pipes and then we'll get back to you with the glorious thanksgiving chatter part two thanksgiving well Feels like it's been forever. Not for y'all, though. <laughs> Thanksgiving. It is now time to get into the reason for the season. The reason for the season. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Day. November 28th. Yep. 2019. Is it? We have done a lot of research into this. And um, we, you know, we're going to give you a good history lesson. Now, before we get into the history lesson, we have swapped out our pipes, swapped out our tobacco. So, so first and foremost, we have gone with a more traditional pipe for Thanksgiving. Yes. Pure Americana. Pure corn America. cob. Corn cob. You are in, what was the one you got? I'm uh, smoking a Missouri Meerschaum uh, Charlestown Carpler? I can't remember. It's, it's one a, of the ones Cornell and Dill did? It's the Cornell and Dill version. It's the Charlestown or Charleston something. Charlestown 
Gentleman? Gent or something like that? I can't remember. It's a really nice pipe, though. It's a bent, just corn cob with a acrylic stem, kind of mm. like an orangey red tint. Smokes really good. I really love it. And you're smoking a what? This is a General MacArthur uh, Missouri Meerschaum. Mm -hmm. It's a big old sun gun. I think I, I believe I smoked it in our Halloween episode. So. Now what we're smoking though is special. It is. It is a Bostonian tobacco from Massachusetts, New England by L.J. Peretti, the oldest tobacconist I think maybe in the world. Wow. Uh, they, they've been blending since the 19th century for sure. And this has been a staple of theirs since the 1930s. This is Thanksgiving Day. Thanksgiving Day. It is uh, Burley in Virginia. And it is, uh, you know, of course, it's aromatic. It's got some um, anise. Is that what you say? Anise? Yeah. Um, and then some like citrus and some like rum and mm -hmm. fruit flavoring. Um, it is a crumble cake. But yeah, it is a four-ounce press cake that has been a tradition since 1939. So yeah, that's correct. Um, every year it's made available um, on November 1st for a limited capacity. Mm -hmm. um, they do have like an old uh, way of pressing the cakes together. <clears throat> Wood presses that they, uh, that they press with like, I think it's just a hand-turned press. And then... Um, then they pull them out and package them up. Pretty normal packaging. I just took it, I mean, because it's a crumble, I just took it and threw it right into a jar. Mm -hmm. There's a block, I think, sort of kind of at the center of it, but I just figured, why not go ahead and jar it up? Because it comes in a pretty sensible little plastic wrapping. That's about it, you know? Yeah. Packaged pretty minimal, but it's a, it's a good little smoke. You can tell that the tobacco's got some age on it. Um, it kind of has that, what I would call tobacco musk yeah you know it's been a, it's been around a minute i feel like that really i mean i've detected that in older tobaccos there was a tobacconist out of seattle he's passed away recently but he um he was a blender from i mean he he worked in the business forever but he had um sold me um, online orders. This was several years ago. Uh, blend that he called Imperial. And I think the oldest tobacco, the youngest, sorry, the youngest tobacco in that blend was 50 years old. I'm not saying that this is 50 year old tobacco. I'm saying that it is, it has a reminiscent flavor. Mm. It wasn't aromatic. His wasn't. But the musky aroma taste that came from the tobacco. Yeah. Very reminiscent of this Thanksgiving day. It's good. I mean, it's good. I mean, it is an aromatic, so there's not a lot of body to it. It's a lot of flavor up front, and then it just sort of peters out. But I enjoy it. I mean, it's, it, it's a nice smoke, especially like it's sort of, is the name suits it. It's something that you would smoke on, like around the family on Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. and nobody would really be upset about it. No, I think you could smoke this kind of in a, in a parlor or something like that and mm -hmm. no one would say anything but it is uh it's it bur the burley and the anisette and the fruit juices and rum really do all the heavy lifting if you were just to give it to me and say pick out what's in here i probably wouldn't say there was much in the way of virginia at all because if there was i feel like i'd get 
there would be some more diversity in the flavor profile. There just isn't. Yeah. Like you said, it's like you you get some of those additives up front, then it dissipates pretty much. There's really nothing on the retro hill. It's just a it's just a smoky concoction that is pleasing. I think would probably be relatively pleasing to smell. Yeah, I mean, definitely there is a lot of burdock. It, it is it is super smoky. Mm-hmm. Um, now the the bag note tin note is really good. Like it's a really good smell, mm-hmm. but you can smell that age on the on that mm-hmm. just on the bag note. But so yeah, it's it's some good stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think this is a bad tobacco. Would I buy it every year? Uh, you know, I feel like if you're looking for the thing is sad. I think that if you if it came in two ounces instead of your four ounce, I think I'd be more apt to buy it. Um, yeah. But I mean, like, I doubt very seriously if this four ounce of Thanksgiving Day is going to get smoked up <laughs> by next Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so you know we're gonna get get a little bit into the history of Thanksgiving. Uh, now that we're probably gonna you know go over a lot of the inner details, but we're gonna try to cover a lot of just the message, you know, of why do we um, why do we celebrate uh, Thanksgiving on the fourth Thursday of November every year? It sort of all starts with the English the English uh, Reformation. Um, you know, which, you know, all, all that business. Um, I don't know how much you know about the English Reformation. <laughs> I know but, it has a lot to do with, I think, Henry VIII. Yeah, Henry VIII. And his, um, uh, need to separate, uh, his spouse from him. Yeah, which, I mean, is really, I mean, if that had never happened... I don't know what would have happened as far as Christianity goes. Like, I'm sure that the Protestant well, movement would have happened eventually, but would it happen the same way? I don't know. Hadn't the Protestant Reformation almost already already kicked off in earnest? Uh, well, yes, but like, it. I think that was a kick. Like that was that was a big thing, though. Like, I mean, that's sort of because before that, I mean, was there even? Was there any backing? Was there any governmental backing behind it? Because I doubt it. But I mean, like, I think that after Martin Luther, yeah, hung up his what ninety five theses or ninety eight theses. I mean, yeah, he was pretty much persona non grata for the church. I mean, they like, I think, excommunicated him. And then you know, through Luther's, you know, sort of. I mean, like, all the stuff he came at, like, what was his big thing was about uh, plenary indulgences, you know? I mean, once he took a step down from the Catholic Church, I mean, they were pretty much like, well, you're going to hell. And then, essentially, religion, as far as Christianity was concerned in Europe, became a lot of infighting. Yes. Which broke off into other things. So, like, you know, we're familiar with Catholics, Lutherans, Protestants. Um, but I mean, I think uh, Calvinist also kind of came out, and then everything sort of expanded from that. I mean, you're going to see like your Methodist, and to a certain extent, I think even Anabaptist, Baptists. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's. I guess it's there's a lot there 
there's a lot of context to this, but really as it relates to Thanksgiving. So basically prior to 1536, there was like 95 or so church holidays, um, including the 52 Sunday, you know, obligatories required requirements. And so a big thing was to take that down, you know, um, because I think at that point in time, you know, if it was a holiday, you, you know, you went to church that day. So you're talking 150 times a year you have to go to church. <laughs> um, it's almost half the year. Yeah. And so, and of course, and, and the people were required to pay for these uh, ex- extravagant celebrations that would be a part of the church, you know, uh, of that holiday. But after... I'm assuming pay through tithing though, right? I'm assuming so. Uh, it, I don't really know. I would assume, but yeah, it, basically they were required to attend church and forego works and sometimes pay for. So when they normally should be working to make money, they were having to attend church and you know tithe to pay for the event. Mm. Um, but uh, but then in the there was a there was some reforms in uh, fifteen thirty six. So they they dropped it from ninety five church holidays to. Uh, 27 church holidays um and then of course some of the puritans still wanted christmas and easter to be uh removed as well but that didn't happen uh so what happened was a lot of the holidays were replaced with two things days of fasting and then days of thanksgiving days of fasting were more about um unexpected like if like a drought happened out of nowhere, you know, or, or a huge hurricane or whatever came through and just tore up a whole town. You'd have a day of fasting to sort of mourn all that. But, <coughs> but uh, if there was like some kind of special blessing from God, maybe a good harvest that year, uh, it would be a day of Thanksgiving. Huh. So, and that, and that wasn't, you know, again, set to one day. It was just... Anytime it was just a happen. name given to something that could be ceremoniously celebrated. Yes. Now, so the practice of an annual day, that began in 1606 following the failure of that gunpowder plot. Mm. Um, uh, and so, of course, that developed into Guy Fawkes Day on November 5th. So uh, that's sort of where Thanksgiving sort of got its makings i guess mm-hmm. um so we're the, there's other parts you know of course we we went over like a lot <laughs> we skipped a lot of stuff a lot of the little minutiae of it but there's still a lot to tell because now we're getting into what we know as thanksgiving today u.s history so that fox was, was 1606 six so yeah. if you fast forward well three, it was 1605, the year after is when they started doing, 1606 is when they started doing the annual uh, Thanksgiving it, right. because of the failure of the gun gunpowder plot. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, if you look at 1606 as your inaugural Thanksgiving. It almost lines up. Right. With the American. Well. Well, the Pilgrims. Because 1621 is the Thanksgiving of the Americas. Yes for what is understood. But if you look at three years after 1606, the British Thanksgiving, and, you're, and you, then you relocate to the 
now the United States, but in this case, Jamestown colony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 1609. What you're seeing is, is like pretty much the year of, like, I don't even know what, like famine, basically. Jamestown was, what people don't understand about Jamestown, because everyone thinks, oh, you know, the pilgrims, they were, they were kind of destitute and hungry and they really didn't know what they were getting into. As a matter of fact, like, we weren't even 100% sure, I think, at the beginning if colonies were going to survive because there really wasn't anything to survive with. Not only yeah. that, but, like, the horrors of the early 1600s uh, being that there were, like, massive winters. There was a little ice age that had actually, you know, cropped up. I mean, it was bitter cold. Jamestown was starving. I think they lost, in 1609, about 100 settlers. Um to the point that, like, uh, in recent modern uh, archaeology, um, it was discovered, even though it was hinted at in writings, we've actually got, you know, empirical proof uh, that there was cannibalism in Jamestown. Oh, uh, really? Time. Yeah, so, I mean, Jesus. so it's 1609, 1621, so you're looking at, what, 11, 12 years later that you have the first Thanksgiving? But in 1609, I mean... It was so bad that they were digging up corpses, they were eating horses, they were eating dogs, they were eating vermin, um, and they were eating the bodies of the deceased and butchering the living. Um, They just recently did some, I guess, uh, what's it called, like uh, an autopsy, I guess, on a a corpse, and the knife uh, and cuts and the bones and on the, I guess, like what is remaining of their, you know, the remainder of their remains, mm-hmm. um, the knife markings are line up with butchering in which they would have definitely eaten like her thighs and her buttocks, her cheek. Uh, they would have sliced through the bone. This is like a 14-year-old girl that they butchered and cannibalized in Jamestown. I mean, it's something that like people really don't take note of because I think it's sort of historically kind of like hush-hush. Uh, yeah. But it was definitely, I mean, it was a, naturally, if you've resorted to cannibalism, that there is issues within your colony. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it didn't go away either. I mean, to the point that, like, Thanksgiving had to happen. I mean, Jamestown was pretty much a, a failure. Um, naturally, if, you, if you've resorted to cannibalism, yeah, you, you're, not making, you're not making it. Yeah. What year did, the, did this cannibalism <clears throat> We don't... It looked probably between the years of 1609 and 16, okay. probably 20. Because it's looking like the earliest signs of a Thanksgiving being held in Virginia was 1610. So, um, well, Thanksgiving services, you know, as we were talking about how you would have one, mm-hmm. you know, in, in different times. Well, of, perhaps the first, like, you know, the traditional Thanksgiving meal was long pig instead of ham. <laughs> Good lord! <laughs> so that means it's a muddled history there. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine being in like third grade learning that, you know, Thanksgiving isn't just about Native Americans and pilgrims; it's about uh, cannibals. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, it's it's that's the thing is it's like what you don't know. You know, I mean, like, I don't think that they would be thankful that they butchered and ate a 14-year-old. Now, was the, you were talking about digging up corpses. Was the 14-year-old girl already dead from something? Uh, I don't know if the article went too 
terribly into detail, but I think from what I gather is she was alive. Dang, but there is no. probably evidence to support the fact that she, and evidence that would probably, it would probably be such, the, the thing is, is like cannibalism in and of itself is so taboo that alive or dead, you know, I mean, you're, on a, you're at that scaling where it doesn't matter at that point. You're still eating human flesh. Now, granted, that's disgusting to me. But just me being me, I'm like, well, if they're already dead, what's it? <laughs> but it just I can I can take that more. I you know. Well, I know there's a kind of a moral kind of aspect to it because you're not murdering anybody. They're already dead. <coughs> they died right. for something else. Like naturally, I mean, they died of like some sort of natural, maybe not natural causes, but they died. Um, so the guilt really isn't on you if you had to if you slaughtered the individual. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty horrific if you slaughtered them and then ate them. That's rough. That's pretty intense. But, like, at the same time, you know... You're still eating humans. Death of natural causes, like exposure or something probably to that extremity, versus death of human slaughter, manslaughter. God. Murder in the first degree kind of thing. Jeez. Um, I can see, like... Kind of the moral gray area of just eating a corpse that's already deceased versus, like, pretty much like it's biblically practiced immoral to murder. And I don't, honestly, I don't know what the Bible has to say about cannibalism, but I'm pretty sure that like it's pretty universal that cannibalism's well, that taboo. is a, that is an interesting thing. Like, I wonder. If the if the Bible makes a distinct well, I mean, do they talk about cannibalism? Cannibalism in the Bible? The closest yeah. thing I can come to in relational, metaphorical, is the bread body metaphor that Christ says, "My body, this is my blood," and the wine, and yeah. then once you take it, it like transubstantiates into. It becomes know, that at that moment. That's what I yeah. understand. Some people believe. Yeah. I think to Baptists, it is pretty much. It's just a representation. Yeah. yeah, I think in the in the Catholic Church, it, it's believed that that is happening at that moment, mm-hmm. that it is becoming that. As of consumption, it does be, literally become the body. I well, I, I think it's prior to consumption. I think it's when it's when it is uh, consecrated by the priest. Oh, okay. So it so when it when when the bread and the wine is brought to the priest, it that's what it is, and then. All that happens, and then they raise it up, and then the bells ring three times. That's it becoming flesh and blood mm-hmm. at that moment. So, but either way, that's the yeah. only form of like cannibalistic, yeah, you know, leanings that the Bible might even talk about. And that's not even, but to me, it's all metaphorical, naturally. Yeah. But, um, that's the closest thing I can relate to. I know that there were some, I think, uh, I think there was some really insane stuff in the Old Testament. And then in, if I'm not mistaken, Ezekiel or Daniel, there was a point at which the Jews were in Babylon and they would talk about their children being eaten by their parents and stuff like that because they were going through this like super horrible time. God. So that there was that. But I mean, those are like, I don't think that in terms of like being like, 
thou shalt not eat of the flesh of another or something like that. I don't think that there was anything stated that I remember. Yeah. I'm sure it's in Leviticus. If it's if you're gonna <laughs> I'm sure it's somewhere in Leviticus. But like as far as actual commentary on cannibalism, outside of the metaphorical uh, transubstantiation of Christ's body and blood from wine and bread, uh, or the kind of apocalyptic scenario of Ezekiel Daniel. Mm. Uh, I can't think of anything in terms of cannibalism. That's wild. So, so moving along, like you were saying, you know, the first what it's observed is the first Thanksgiving that was in 1621. Um, you know, it was, a fe- it was in uh, October of 1621. Um, a little bit different than what it is now, but, but then it was in October. Uh, the feast lasted for three days. Um, let's see here. Whew. 90 Native Americans and 53 pilgrims. Now, a side note. There's a difference between a Puritan and a pilgrim. A Puritan is an English Protestant in the 16th, 18th century, blah, 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 who sought to purify the Church of England of Roman Catholic practices, maintaining that the Church of England had not been fully reformed and needed to become more Protestant. Um, Puritanism played a significant role. Okay, whatever. Now, pilgrims... Just a little bit different. I think they are a a version of the Puritans, but they're a little bit different. Um, they are more, you know. I think more people know about them is that they were just they were leaving because of uh, um, what's the word persecution in England. Yeah, I think they were a little too extreme. Yeah, they <clears throat> they went further along the so route. they left. Yeah, across the Atlantic. Which you know, the best idea I can. And I can picture of how these people were were probably uh, the colony and the witch. It sort of puts me in mind of people like that, unless I'm getting my centuries wrong. No, that's about accurate. But Eggers is pretty accurate too. His depiction of things is pretty really accurate. Yes. Now, if I'm, the director, the director. So what we're talking about is The Witch, a film that came out a couple of years ago. Yeah. By, um, I can't remember. Ro- Roger Eager or Eager? Yeah. Is it Eager? I thought Eager. it was Eggers. So. Maybe it's Eggers, yeah. So it's, um, now, it, it, I can't remember. Did they leave the colony because that they the family was more extreme than the colony? In The Witch, yes. He was basically, so... My very, very limited, so when I say this, guys, if you're listening for any type of historical accuracy, like I do recommend that you go either check against everything that I'm saying or read for yourself. So this is very limited. I've not spent a lot of time studying early American history, which would have covered like the 17th, 18th centuries before even our revolution. I just haven't really, I haven't dived into that, but from what I can tell, even to a certain extent, um, the colonies still had, um, and I'm gathering this from a couple of different books that I've read in the past. I think one was actually called White Trash, which is about classism in early to late American society. But like, oh. um, there were forms of classism in 
puritanical or like pilgrim colonies. Yeah. In which, um, you know, even where you sat in the pew in the church had relevance to your stature within the township or, you know, the hamlet or whatever, the colony itself. And then there were elders and other people, learned people. And then, of course, like in and of itself, built into those systems, and those are probably people who actually had money, and they still were suffering, probably. But of that percentage, you know, they had indentured servants and people who wanted to come. I mean, like the economy was based on free labor to a certain extent, even before African slaves showed up. Mm. Uh, indentured service was a way to get a free trip to yeah. the New World. Um, now, granted, the difference between African slaves versus indentured servants is like indentured servants were contractually obligated to be slaves until the debt had been paid. So you would gather the funds to bring them to America, say, and then they were contractually obligated to you for X amount of years. Mm-hmm. And then once those years expired, you were basically given kind of like a writ to to a freedom I suppose yeah and then you you were no longer obligated to whoever mm. that <coughs> we'll say account manager was mm. um but that's the way the economy was sort of ran um you know I mean it was all experimentational up front it wasn't until later that they discovered that like their cash cropping um in this case tobacco um Welcome to Pipecast, right? <laughs> you know, that uh, a cash crop like tobacco could actually push them forward into yeah. you know, a more stabilized economy. And so in the witch, this family is sort of... A, it, they are... They don't like the hierarchy. Yeah, they're, they're, they're confronting the norms, which would be the hierarchical, yeah. uh, I guess... I think he's addressing several leaders yes. um, in one instance. And in that case, you know, he would have probably been banned from the, the town. Um. See, the thing about that, too, is if you can, you can actually see it in the film. Roger Eggers said clearly in the part where I think the son might be named Caleb or something. They're clearly talking about election. Calvinism, like the elect, because there is a sort of a spiritual existential crisis about the young lad when he's hunting with his father about how does he know who the elect is and if they're predestined in a sense to go to heaven or not. And there's this kind of like philosophic back and forth where the father is sort of trying to pacify the son by saying like, you know, that God knows kind of thing, like that kind of like catch-all answer, but like how do you know who the elect is, you know, that's one of the drawbacks to talking to Calvinists because they do believe in elect or a predestination. For some reason, like it always seems like when you talk to them that they consider their family a part of the elect, and how do you know that, like, yeah, it's like, well, they just are, it's like, well, I mean, are they, you know, I mean, you're saying they're elect, and they are, are they? Yeah. It's kind of a, it's it's convoluted because then you got to start throwing in like, free will and then deeds start taking it into effect and not to get religious but like you can see how like there could be like metaphysical like paradoxes all rattled in there so the point is is that Eggers does a fine job of like kind of displaying like common sentiment around religion and sort of taming the wild bucking against authority and a lot of things that happen I mean even in of itself 
a witch is an outsider to an outsider. Yeah. You know, I mean, because the family is now excommunicated, you know, persona non grata, removed from town, ran out on a rail. Yeah. And then the witch is the outsider to the outsiders. <laughs> like, I always found that kind of interesting about that film. Mm. But yes, that's, I think that to say that it's like a puritanical society is pretty accurate. Well, in sort of to wrap that in, um, getting back to like the main difference between these pilgrims and Puritans it is, you know, they really the big difference is pilgrims um, felt like they should be separate from um, the Church of England, like the, the English state church, like they wanted to be something different. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, that's that's the big difference between those two. Um, so you know, fast forward a little bit. Um, Before you say that, I was going to say this is like you can probably see that overriding sentiment coming out in our separation of church and state kind of philosophy. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, a lot of that sticks. Like, and that's the thing I think about religion and history and trial and error that humans may not get it right all the time, but I mean, parts of it are, are, are right and, and last, uh, you know, sentiments last, you know, that we're, I don't, I mean, I don't think Calvinists are that big of a, of like a population anymore. Like, I don't know. I wouldn't think. I think the philosophy still exists. I think like as far as Calvinism is concerned, yeah. like it's still, but I don't think there's that many that follow. I mean, I'm, I'd, I've never met a Calvinist, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't feel like that is the overarching um, idea of Christianity in my world, mm-hmm. or the, the, the world I'm in in Southeast America, you know. Right. It, it doesn't seem like that's a big thing anymore. But the idea of separating, keeping church and state separate is still a big thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's um, interesting that, like, if that's where they came from. Yeah. If the pilgrims left to because they couldn't reform the church more drastically, and then they just wanted to separate themselves away from the Church of England in general. Mm-hmm. And then they, they thought that there was some sort of like issue with government and religion presiding over them. Uh, it's interesting because you, you're talking about Jamestown in 1609, and then like almost 170 years later, you've got, you know, Declaration of Independence and like basically the structuring of our entire society in 1776 onward. Um, and that sentiment's still there by separating them out. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> sort of shooting a little bit forward, um, the big, you know, getting a little bit more into Thanksgiving as we know it, um, you know, the interesting thing that I did not know is that it is celebrated, well, everybody knows it's celebrated on the fourth Thursday of November. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what's happened and that all started um what was really crazy is it started happening it was on and off um you know since like 1789 so you know about um how many years removed from the american revolution is that uh 1779 you said uh three years 89 89 89 so 13 years well um so George Washington basically had a proclamation that he, that, you know, he sort of started a little bit of it. Um, Thomas Jefferson, actually, he, I love Tommy J. Tommy J is my guy. But he chose not to observe it. 
Um, and so it, it did not get celebrated again until Abraham Lincoln's presidency. So that around that time it get, it picked back up. Um, and then, let's see here, it became a federal holiday in 1863, which that's, you know, pretty good timing. I mean, you're in the midst of a civil war. Um, so, you know. Is there a reason why Lincoln picked it back up? Probably. Is it just like one of those things where it's like the nation needs something to observe I believe, during its time of war? Yeah, I think that's like, I think that's definitely it. Um, it, it was a way to sort of not not like necessarily like keep everybody like from thinking about the war mm -hmm. but i mean i think that had a part to play i mean i mean when you're when you have a nation that just less than 100 years prior became you know gained its independence now you now you're squabbling between one another mm -hmm. it's like i mean you got to write the ship some way, um, if if this war is lasting right. lasting a while. So I mean, it, 1863, the war started in 61. I mean, it's pretty crazy because I mean, 1861 would have been the start of the war. Yeah. You haven't even made your centennial yet. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I there's think there's a. I think that <clears throat> there's a book I read called Anatomy of Revolution where it talks about like sparking things. It talks about the British, uh, I don't know if you would call it a revolution, but what happened with the Irish and uh, Oliver Cromwell and everything, um, and then the execution of a king, and then uh, then you look at the French Revolution, the American Revolution, the Bolsheviks Revolution, you know. I mean, there's something to be said for the way things start up and nation building in general. From a general historic perspective, I think it, the standard is is that most empires or kingdoms or countries or whatever you want, whatever you feel like calling it, their halfway point is civil war, which is interesting. Like we hadn't even gotten a hundred years in and we already had a civil war. And then to think since then we've mm -hmm. gone, you know, we've gone on, we've beaten the, technically we've beaten it. I mean like, but. Remember, I mean, like, we're still technically in that halfway. <laughs> I mean, technically, we're still at the other end yeah. of the halfway mark, you know. Yeah. So, you know, as far as, like, dissolving, you know, that's the way nation or these kinds of things happen. So Yeah. That would suck, but. So what's unique about when Abraham Lincoln brought it back is it was to be celebrated on the last Thursday in November. Now, this was something new to me. Sometimes, and I know October is noto notorious of having five. Mm -hmm. It usually always has five weeks in it. Um, but sometimes there are five Thursdays in uh, November. So during this time, um, if, if it was a year where the, the la the, there was five Thursdays, Thanksgiving would be on that fifth Thursday. Right. Now, when FDR took over, he did a little bit of changing. He changed it from being the last to being the uh, the second to last. Uh. Um, but then that shortly changed back in 1941. So from 42 onwards, um, it is the fourth Thursday in November. FDR had a way of tinkering with things, I suppose. Yeah. 
But that is, um, that was something, that was something you know, new to me. I'd always knew. See, my mother's birthday is the 24th, and a lot of times it falls on her birthday. Um, but, like, I, I looked the other day. I think we'll have five Thursdays in November in, like, 2020 or 2021, I think. 2021, I think. So that'll be a time where, guess what? It's not going to be the last, like we're usually accustomed to. It'll happen a week, a week out. But, you know, that, that's just some of the sort of neat, interesting things about the history of it. Now, getting a little bit more into the traditions. Yeah, so I think we had a little bit of problems there, technical difficulties. I don't know exactly where we lost audio. But I think it was around where we were talking about traditions. Um, so, you know, I know we just mentioned something about FTR. Yeah. Um, yeah, just him tinkering with stuff. Um, and, you know, changing the dates. But, you know, when it comes to Thanksgiving, food is, is what we talk about now. I mean, I think, I really think food overshadows the actual, like, message of giving thanks and celebrating with family. It's like, you know, what are you going to eat today? What are we having? Well, holidays have a tendency to be passive in like over time. They have a passive kind of moral that seems to come along with them. Uh, or some, you know, in this case, giving thanks. Christmas, it would be the birth of Christ. But like they're really overshadowed by the sort of gluttonousness or... <laughs> Of the holidays themselves, and I don't even mean just like in in overindulging. I mean even Christmas to a certain extent is feasting, candy, presents, gluttony. Like I mean, it really is. You know, a lot of people nail Christmas for being overly consumeristic and like really not really having any sort of purpose other than just buying things, uh, baubles. Really, just nothing, nothing really important. But Thanksgiving has its own demons, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, so like, everybody knows, you know, like we got turkeys, you know, turkey's a big, a big meal. I mean, it, it's such a big part of Thanksgiving meal that some people refer to it as turkey day. You know, that that's, right. that's a big, big thing. And, you know, sometimes it comes, now again, this is U.S. Thanksgiving. Um, there is a Canadian Thanksgiving and there's other Thanksgiving, <clears throat> excuse me. There's a lot going on, so I'm, we're, since we're in the U.S., since we're specifically in the Southeast U.S., we're talking what we know. What we uh, know to be true. So normally turkeys can be roasted and stuffed or deep fried now. And they're, we're in the Southeast, so, I mean, we deep fry, we deep fry water. <laughs> yeah, we do. We're going to make that joke work. That joke is going to work one day. <laughs> so if you laughed at that joke, you better let us know. <laughs> let us know. Um, we'll get into that later. Uh, so yeah, um, you know, deep fried, that's a, that's a typical, like popular option. I mean, I've had it roasted. I've had it deep fried. Mm-hmm. Um, now I've never had a turducken at Thanksgiving. I've never had a turducken in general. Have you? No. I mean, just really just the, just I've only t- ever had a fried turkey really, you know, I've had a roasted turkey. They're not good to me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're fine. You know, um, I've had a lot of smoked ones, tons of smoked ones. Yeah. You know, if you're not smoking, you're frying. If you're not frying, you're smoking. That's the way I feel like it is in the South. Yeah. Um, if you go deep, deep South, uh, New Orleans, Mm -hmm. I do think that I've 
they, I think they oven roast everything. Like, it's crazy. You would think that they were frying. Yeah. I've talked to at least three different people who are just like, yeah, we put it in the oven. We do all this, this and this and this. Because they have, I think they have more claim to French cuisine. And I think it actually lends to that. So I think true New Orleans natives have a tendency to roast, which is crazy. It does, yeah, yeah. That's a weird thing because our idea of New Orleans doesn't lean that way, but then, like you said, when you get into that, you know, there's a lot of French, you know, stuff going on there. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I guess that sort of makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's like, just, I mean, it's not, it's not terribly surprising to me because you go down there and they're like, oh, you like duck confit? I'm like, not particularly, but like, you know, I mean, that's pretty much like, what is it, you know, simmered in a duck fat reduction with thyme and star anise and like all kinds of stuff for 24 hours and then oven roasted you know just the fact that you had to put it in the oven after you simmered it you know (laughs) really does kind of lend itself to being like yeah they probably roast their turkeys now i'm not saying everyone if you're from the new orleans area i'm sure you're frying you know and that's fine but i'm just saying from what i've been told here lately it seems like a lot of people do do an oven and i think that has a lot to do with their french connection Uh, to sort of put on the point of, you know, turkey is a big thing. Uh, in Thanksgiving of 2015, I know we're four years removed, but, I mean, that's the stats I was given. Uh, four million turkeys were consumed. About, a, about, one, about $1 billion worth of turkey sold. Better contact PETA. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll get into some... We'll get into that. Well, I, I, actually, I don't want to get into any of that. <laughs> so continue on with food. Usually there's mashed potatoes and gravy, um, stuffing, of course, sweet potatoes, uh, sweet potato casserole, uh, lumpy, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're having a whole debacle in my family right now about lumpy versus cream sweet potato casserole. Now, when you say lumpy, you're talking about the, the, the potatoes hadn't been all the way smushed? That's right. Now, do you ever eat lumpy potatoes at all? Because I sort of like lumpy mashed potatoes. I do not. The only lumpy potato I've ever had and consumed in its entirety is a baked potato that it has barbecue on it. For some reason, that's passable. Because, I mean, really, if you think about it, a baked potato, if smashed and then added some cream, you got mashed potatoes. Yeah. So, if you had butter, sour cream, I guess I guess is a form of cream, cheese, barbecue, chives, bacon, you know mush that together, add some white sauce, then you got a barbecue baked potato, and it is technically lumpy. The only difference between mashed potatoes and then gourmet mashed potatoes, which has the skin on them, and a baked potato is, I assume, the consistency of the potato itself, what is added to it, and then if you're consuming the skin or not. Which, ironically enough, when I eat a baked potato, I eat everything. Like, there's no potato left. There's just aluminum foil when I'm done yeah. with it. There's, I, I'll leave a little bit, but... I, you know, I'll eat some of the skin. Mm-hmm. And the skin's good. I mean, yeah, I don't mind it. I actually eat the skin first. I eat around the potato and then wrap the potato up. Yeah, interesting. So, um, kind but, of a weird way of approaching. Uh, maybe I don't. Like, I sort of just, I don't know how I do it. It's, it's, I just know that when I'm done, there's nothing left. So, the mystery of how Zach eats his potatoes. Mm. But yeah, your family's having a debacle between. So, some people. Want the lumpy? Some people want the creamy. Communists want the lumpy. Well, hold on now. Don't be double down in that. Mm. I don't mind saying it. 
Like, I'm not even 100% sure I have a brother. Like, after he made the statement of wanting lumpy sweet potato casserole, but your dad I pretty was, much was made the assumption too. that he was adopted. But your dad agreed. I'm pretty sure he's not my father. So, really, you're the adopted one. Uh, I still could come from my mom. What? Well, milkman. That's right. And what <laughs> would the milkman do? He'd add cream, and he would smash it too. It's creamy. I mean, that's the way, I mean, that is, so in a way, yes, the milkman is my father. I've actually never paid enough. Wait, is it sweet potato casserole? I don't yeah. even eat that that much, but I've never paid attention enough to really know if I've had lumpy or creamy. I'm not a sweet potato guy. I mean, they're fine, but I'm, I'd rather eat just Sweet potato, potato casserole is great. I mean, like, it's kind of interesting because I hear people talking about sweet potato pie, I'm assuming this is my sweet potato pie. This is as close as it gets. There was actually a kind of a weird debate that we had the other day at work. I think you might have been involved where it was like, is it sweet potato pie or is it basically sweet potato cobbler? Like, because, oh, I was not in that. Um, I don't remember where that came from, but we, we put brown sugar in pecans and we bake it until See, it has a crust on top. And like, in a way, isn't that a cobbler? Yeah, I mean. So, so I mean, you know. But, I mean, into, okay, we'll, we'll get into the differences of, desserts later but i say that because that's why I, i'm not a big sweet potato person because it's always put with the main dishes and to me it's a dessert it's too sweet to be put with the main dishes same with the strawberry crap that that's usually there i don't know what the strawberry is. pretzel stuff no no that's usually at the dessert table i'm talking about it's like a pink oh strawberry fluff maybe it's always with the with the main the main course as well i'm like that's dessert. Like, what are y'all doing? Mm-hmm. Like, that's just, that, that's probably why. And then by the time it is dessert time, I'm like, well, I don't want no sweet potato casserole. Well, I think the thing is, is like, I always eat the sweet potato casserole last as if it were a dessert. Because it's I've pre-dessert. treated it as a dessert. <laughs> yes. I mean, like, it's like the way it works is, is like I eat, I can tell you 100% how I start. <clears throat> Two rolls are made into a ham sandwich and a turkey sandwich. Then I'm automatically starting with chicken, uh, what? <laughs> Go continue. Um, chicken, what's it called? Chicken stuffing or whatever? Yeah. Chicken casserole? Chicken and dressing? Chicken and dressing, thank you. With cranberry sauce. That's the way I start. Okay. And as I'm slowly making my way through it, I'm also eating mac and cheese and potatoes at the same time. Then I switch to my ham and turkey sandwiches dipped in mashed potatoes and usually gravy or something like that. And white gravy I, or brown as, gravy? Uh, brown. Oh, yeah. You, I, I've never had white on I've never had mashed, white with mashed potatoes. Is that a thing? I only eat small salt meal with biscuits. Yeah, so same for me in the morning, it's salt meal gravy and biscuits, or it's red eye gravy and biscuits. And the only reason I get red eye usually during this time of year is because I baked a ham before. I, I mean, I'm, I agree with you. That's sort of how I eat it. But I'm gonna tell you, I like brown gravy better. I would eat brown gravy with biscuits if it was an option. Like I just love brown gravy. I feel like it's just a little too salty, Maybe and it so. doesn't take the pepper as well. Oh. I can over pepper the crap out of salmon gravy and it's fine. Yes. Uh, I agree. I've never tr- attempted this, but I'm just saying. But, so, after I get done with the sandwiches and the mashed potatoes, I'm, which I'm kind of consuming at the same time, usually I'll wrap up the mac and cheese. I eat the sweet potato casserole last. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll probably swing in a fork just to try a little taste, just to kind of get the salt out of my mouth, you know? Yeah. And then as soon as I get done with the sweet potato casserole, I stand up, I dispose of whatever plate I'm having. I usually don't get seconds. I go right to the table and get a coconut pie slice. 
eat the coconut pie slice, and then I get two more ham slices, make another sandwich, have two more bites of coconut pie and sweet potato casserole out of the dish, which I usually get in trouble for. I have to like kind of look around because I don't want to make a plate, so I'll just like kind of swing a fork in there and dirty it up because I'm an animal. Yeah, you are an animal and based then, on what you... Yeah, and then they yell at me, and then by that time it doesn't matter anyway because I've like, you know, lethargy is like grasped onto my mind and I'm passed out on the couch, usually like halfway through the sports breed of the dog show. <laughs> Okay, you're not going to get a, a detailed answer from me because it, it just varies every year. It's whatever shows up. I don't eat ham. I'm not, I mean, I'll have the slice every now and again. I'm just not a big ham man. So I usually go with the turkey. Unless the turkey's too dry, then I like I swap that to the side. Um, I'm big on like dev, deviled eggs, uh, mashed potatoes, um, like a pasta salad or like a uh, what's it called? Like like a corn salad and. Like stuff yeah. like that, like uh, cheesy potatoes. I like broccoli casserole too. Broccoli casserole, any kind of casserole, I am on it. It's, it's, again, except for, the, I may get a little dab of sweet potato casserole just to, to try a bite and be like, no, nah, that's a dessert and put it back down. Mm -hmm. But like, I'm big on the sides. Like my, my plate is has more sides than it's got meat. Like, like five times as much sides as there is meat. What I love about my mom's sweet potato casseroles, there is. There are no marshmallows in sight whatsoever. It is brown sugar crusted with pecans. You don't, you don't like marshmallows? I just, I was raised on brown sugar and pecans with mm. sweet potato. Like, it's just so much better. Mm. Now, it's nothing wrong with, there is absolutely nothing wrong with marshmallows. As a matter of fact, the greatest thing in the world is a toasted marshmallow with a Hershey, melted Hershey and graham cracker. That's, that is, a s'more is amazing. Yeah. And a toasted marshmallow just is, it's got a crunch, but it's also creamy. I mean, everything about it is delicious. I yeah. just don't put it on my sweet potatoes. I don't feel like it works for me. Have I had it before? Yes. Is it fine? Yes. yes Will I eat it again? Yes. Am I going to complain? No. Do I prefer that? No. I prefer... If you had the option... If I had the, the option, it'll be brown sugar and pecans. It's funny you talk about that. Uh, I've just recently like gotten like big into um, Rocky Road ice cream. Mm-hmm. And um, I think is it Hagen Dazs or something like that. Mm -hmm. I think it's that brand. I love the marshmallow in that ice cream because you're. I'm a soft serve guy. Like if I buy like a Briars, isn't that the brand of ice cream? Briars. Mm -hmm. If I <laughs> sorry, it's just funny to eat as much ice cream as you're describing right now and to not know the brand name. It's just kind of funny. <laughs> it's just like hey, it's ice cream. Let's go. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> ice cream's ice cream. Frozen yogurt ice cream, I don't care. If it's cold and it's soft, I'm like it. But if I if I get like a Briars, like it's usually too hard for me. And like I don't I, I ain't wasting time putting it in the microwave or sitting it down, letting it letting it get soft. I ain't got time for that. I I take like three, four scoops, put it in this bowl. We have these my mother had these bowls and she's giving them to me now. They have they're basically like oversized coffee mugs. So they got they got a little handle on them. Fill that up with ice cream as much as I can. And I just churn it with my spoon until it's soft serve. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, now we're ready to roll. But with this, this particular Rocky Road, you you know it, it it gets soft real quick. And like I'm eating it, and then you'll hit a pocket of marshmallow, and it is so creamy and so just wow, it just blows my mind every time. See, that's interesting because with the Rocky, so this sounds like a Rocky Road with fluff. Yes, which is that's awesome. Yeah, the Rocky Road that I grew up with. 
I'll have to try whatever you're talking about. But the Rocky Road I grew up with was like basically the mini marshmallows you put in hot chocolate. Yes. They, they just douse them with that. Oh, so then it's you just hit in these there? like yeah. And then you hit these hard nuggets of marshmallow that are oh. frozen because they're very airy and they just kinda of harden up in the ice cream. That's oh that's weird. So it's almost like a it's it's not a crunch because that'd be kind of nice if it was like a freeze dried situation yeah. where it kind of crunch and you're like okay so I got the flavor of marshmallow but I don't have to worry no this is like hard bubble gum that has been in like one of those you know Kiwanis Club things <laughs> it's got a nickel slot on it you throw it in there you get like yeah. thirty pieces and then it's just eating a brick and then yep. you just spit it out and like for some reason the gum hasn't become like this this chewed mass it's just like a bunch of broken pieces of yep. candy it's just the, the gum is just horrible you know you're like yeah. how long has this been in here and they're like that stand's been there since 1955 <laughs> and you're like does no one change does the Kiwanis club not change out the gum <laughs> and they're like no they don't you know so that that's the kind of rocky road you're used to that's what i'm used to i would suggest trying this because it's it's just like little pockets of just sporadic throughout and you'll you know you'll be getting several bit of ice cream you'll get a a, a nut every now and again or a chunk of chocolate mm-hmm. and then you'll hit that pocket and it just like you'll know when you hit it too the spoon will just dive right through and you're like oh yeah like i don't know i'm, I'm getting sexual about this because it's, <laughs> so, it's so good but i love that they've developed marshmallow toppings that are actually runny you can actually put on a, yeah. a sundae yeah. Or something like that. I don't know if marshmallows really goes with the sun. I like the taste of marshmallow. Yeah. Marshmallows are good. Like, I couldn't see myself. Okay. I love pickles, right? I could sit down and eat a whole jar of pickles. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't see myself sitting down and eating a whole jar of marshmallow fluff. But, I mean, don't test me. I, might. I think I gained a lot of my early college weight because I ate marshmallow fluff with Ritz crackers. Oh, really? Like, so it was weird, man. But, like, the combination of salty cracker with fluff just made my day i remember because my grandfather stocked it for some reason he had fluff and he had ritz crackers so like naturally when you go to someplace like that if you grew up on like kid movies you want to go to chips ahoy and fluff well you don't have chips ahoy so what's the next best thing well i want something round for some weird reason so i went to ritz Hmm. and for some reason the ritz cracker and the fluff at that time in my life and it just sounds sick now i can't even think about eating (laughs) that as much as i did you know you just think about it and you're like good lord like, I'm actually kind of getting a little, like, anxious about Thanksgiving tomorrow because I know I'm going to be consuming food. Which is about all this is. Yeah. Uh, getting back a little bit on track, you know, there's, again, cranberry sauce, um, sweet corn, squash, Brussels sprouts, pumpkin pie. Um, I know we sort of had a, not an argument, but a disagreement. Like, I'm not a cranberry sauce man. I don't do it. I don't, I don't fool with Your that story mess. about why you don't like that is probably the funniest. Well, okay. Well, before I tell my story, I want you to tell me what you said about any, you'll eat it anyway. You want it, you want it coming out of the can with the little rings around it still in it. Right. Yeah. I mean, like ultimately, cranberry <laughs> sauce is cranberry sauce, but like the cranberries. I mean, like anything that you're going to to serve up, mm-hmm. you know, everyone has their traditional thing that they like. You know, some people like homemade, where they actually make literal cranberries into a sort of sauce jam yeah. right yeah um that's fine i've had it it's good i like the flavor of cranberry what i grew up with was the the canned cranberry sauce that comes out in a gelatinous blob it's got the ribbings like it's been working out all year to get to thanksgiving you know it's got that rib section right down the side 
And you, you know where to slice because you're going to slice right on those ribs, you know. But it looks like it's going to beat you up and take your lunch money. It's just this, <laughs> it's just this nasty looking thing. Now, the interesting thing is just like I don't mind eating the discs. There's nothing like hokey about that. But I do think that there's a, it's kind of weird because it, it almost mean, it seems more presentable if you slice it into the discs and serve it as the disc. So in other words, if the gelatinous form comes out in the shape of a can and you cut the can down into like little discs, that's what I'm used to seeing. It does seem more presentable if you mush it with a fork for some reason yeah. and it's kind of like of a jammier consistency. Yeah. But I'm used to the disc. Like I'm like, I'll have a ton of chicken and dressing, also one disc, and then a half disc. I'm, I'm an animal, so I just cut one of the discs in half and throw it on there. <laughs> and somehow, usually that purple sludge gets into my sweet potato stuff, but I don't really care because at that point, once I've made it to the sweet potato, like I'm just like, oh, I like sugar, and I'm just eating away. Yeah. But uh, yeah, one and a half disc, a good portion of chicken and dressing, ham and turkey sandwich, and then uh, mac and cheese and mashed potatoes with gravy. The the problem that I, I've one of the problems that I've had with cranberry sauce is that it's not a sauce. Now it may there are versions that are sauce, mm -hmm. but what you're talking about the the typical that ain't a sauce. No, it's not. It's, it's not. But so the reason why I don't. But I don't know what to call it because it's always been called cranberry sauce. It's like I mean I don't know well, cranberry it looks like jello. It's like you took a bunch of cranberry juice and you added like a coagulant like yeah rattlesnake venom to it and it and then gave it steroids and then it comes out all ripped up like some sort of crazed cranberry sauce and then there you go but like yeah i don't know so the reason why i don't fool with cranberry sauce i don't it started back in elementary school it continued through high school but the, the first instance was elementary school so I was notorious for, I guess, maybe the anxiety of being in the lunch line and like people being behind you and sort of rushing you along. I would see cranberry sauce and I would think it was jello. <laughs> and I would, I would grab it, get to my table, take a bite, and realize that's not jello. And like, I just, like, it just winged me. I was like, I was done from that point on. And, it, and the bad thing is, it happened multiple times, mm -hmm. like over the course of my uh, school career, that I would accidentally get cranberry sauce and then be like thinking it was jello. I mean, that wasn't the only food. Like sometimes I would get corn nuggets or like fried okra thinking they were tater tots. But I mean, granted, I'm talking about a school cafeteria with, lunch. With corn nuggets, I could see 100%. Yeah. Fried okra is like... You must have really been getting rushed from behind yeah. because, like, that green sticks out so much in my even in my head. Of course, I don't care because I love fried okra. Well, see, I'm super like going back now. I probably would wouldn't mind fried okra, but I used to hate fried okra because I love pickled okra. Like, I just eat I'd eat pickled okra, like stem and all everything. Toss that back. Mm -hmm. But I, I never really messed with fried okra. But coming back now, knowing what I like now, I probably wouldn't mind fried okra. The weirdest thing about lunches, you know, like. I remember because you would have your traditional, but they would have. I, I could never get beyond pizza and corn. I know. That was something that always blew my mind. Like, I was like, why does this pair? It's like, I guess they didn't know what to serve with pizza because, I mean, normally there are no sides with pizza. Well, now I could see chicken wings, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's, a, that's a typical side item to, 
Yeah, but like, oh yes, yes, chicken. Sorry, yes. I thought you meant with corn. No, no, but with pizza. Yeah, with that pizza. totally makes so, sense. So, so like back. But for some reason, they're not gonna have two meats. I, it, it almost felt like they, like they were like, well, we're serving pizza, so that's probably not nutritionally sound. So let's serve the most unnutritional vegetable with it, corn. Now, I don't know about you, but we had Mexican pizza that was shaped like a stop sign. Did you ever have that? No. It was Maybe awful. we did. I don't know. It was awful. A lot, a lot of people think it was good, but they're wrong. I, you know, it... it like, only thing I can remember was the square pizza and corn. That's the yep, only thing yep. I remember. And then, you know, every once in a while you'd get something really random, like this horrifying... I mean, it just I remember lunches being so... Awful. Yeah, but, like, it wasn't like it was a concern to eat it. Yeah. Like, I think if I went back now... Like, a great example of this is my wife and I had kind of a, an affection for Golden Corral. A Golden Corral is trash. Yeah. But, like, for some reason, we just love Golden Corral. I mean, I grew up on, like, Rhines and Barn Hills and all these other buffets, God, you know. And they're all terrible. But, like, now that I have perspective because we've eaten a bunch of different things, yeah. right? But when I was young, Golden Corral was the best. And I think the only reason I thought that it was the best is because I like making a hot fudge sundae at the soft serve line. You make the soft serve, you get the swirl. Yep. You got the hot fudge, you got the hot caramel, you got the sprinkles, you got the peanuts. I don't even think I really cared to eat regular food. <laughs> but for some reason, I always thought that, like, oh, regular food is really good here, too. And then I get a nice little treat at the end. And we went in there, and I swear 80% of it was not edible. <laughs> you know, this is in the last couple of years that I was so disappointed. You know, I remember going to the roast beef station. And I was like, it looks like you set a pig on fire and we were like, oh, crap, we need to serve this. <laughs> and you just gave it to me like, or whatever that station is where they have pork loin or yeah. something like that. Because I'm like, it's not that the food looked necessarily, un- I mean, yeah, I guess it does look kind of unpresentable. But it's not in that vein as much as it's just like you get it and you're like, yes, you did definitely throw this in a fireplace. And then forgot, and then pulled it out, and we're like, well, we're also kind of low on budget, so we're serving it. That's what it feels like sometimes. The crazy thing, though, is, like, no matter what kind of buffet I go to, whether it's an Asian buffet or a buffet like a Rhymes or a Golden Corral, I always get the pizza. Even though I know it's some kind of frozen pizza that they put in the oven, it just always tastes better. It's got Hmm. some good garlic on it. Hmm. But the funny thing about, so, again, me and Zach grew up in the Florence area, and uh, so when I was growing up, you had Ryan's and you had Barnhills. And that's the only two like that that you had. But we never went to Barnhills mm-hmm. because my dad swore up and down. He goes, you go in there, you get bruises. Like, he, we'd go to Ryan's every week, but he would not go to Barnhills. He was like, you get in there, they'll, they'll, they'll knock you over getting to that food. So, like, we would just never go. I think I went there one time. And they, they, they're not, like... There's probably, unless you're in Vegas or someplace that's a little bit more pristine, maybe New York to a certain extent, you're not going to get a buffet that is really worth yeah. what you're paying, like period. I mean, you're getting for what you pay for is what I'm getting uh, at. I guess unless, if you're going off the how much your mother train, unless you go to a strip club on Thanksgiving. Hmm. I guess their buffets are good. but I've never had a strip club buffet. I haven't either. I mean, I'm proud to say I haven't had that. Um the last time I went to Orion's was in Gardendale. 
uh, when I was living in Fultondale for a while, and that was just rough. Like, that was an awful experience. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I'm not the pickiest. You know me. I'm not picky about food. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you just give me two or three fast food chains, I could live for the rest of my life. And you wouldn't hear me be like, man, you know what? This food around here just sucks. I'd just be like, yeah, okay, it's food. But that was awful. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't discredit variety. Yeah. But I do question inner species variety. I don't even know how you would say that in food. Like, in other words, like, I'm never going to go to a Chinese buffet and eat pizza, like, ever. I get it every time, and Anne looks at me and goes, what are you doing? I'm yeah, like, so she has the right interpretation. Like, yeah. what are you doing? She's over here. Now, the, the thing is, is, like, the trashy side of me has another issue that, like, my wife wants to, like, there's a part, like, there's the only, the only thing as of my eight years of marriage that has ever, I think, ever been called into question is that, uh, you know, you talk about, you talk about Velveeta, you talk about crap, you talk about box mac and cheese, you talk about homemade mac and cheese, you talk about taking penne and seven cheeses and cottage cheese and you mix mm-hmm. it together and you bake Ooh. it and it's, you got a, like a cheddar layer on top of it. Yeah. You take all that stuff, right? And you stack it up against a Barnhill's Golden Corral or Ryan's mac and cheese, like that artificial flavor stuff. And I will pick that KFC Barnhill's Ryan's buffet mac and cheese every time. It tastes like real mac and cheese to me. I don't know why. And everyone gives me crap for it. They're like, that is garbage. That is trash land. And I was like, I will eat that every day. That tastes like mac and cheese to me. Like that, there's something about that flavoring. Now, I hate craft. Like the, the box stuff yeah, with the mini yeah. noodles. It's, it's, and I hate Velveeta. I hate it. Like, I don't like it. And the, the funny thing is, is I sort of have like sort of a, like an Alzheimer's situation with it. Because Amanda eats it pretty much regularly. Yeah, yeah. And then about every three bowls or five, three to five bowls that she makes, I'm like, hey, you mind if I get a bite of this? And she's like, you know you hate this, right? And I was like, I mean, I mean, do I? And then I eat it, and I go, this is terrible. And she goes, yes, yes, so stop eating it. And this happens every about five times she makes it. Like, for some reason, I get this, like, curious, like, maybe this time. Especially when it's Velveeta shells, because they sort of remind me, the coloring very much is reminiscent of what I get at Barnhills. And I'm like, this time it's going to be different. And I try it, and I go, this is terrible. I want to literally leave the house, go to KFC, and get because KFC has the most reminiscent of yeah, those. But yeah. if you if you're familiar with KFC's mac and cheese or a buffet mac and cheese, that's what I'm used to. It's got to be gloopy, like the noodle. It's got to be gloopy. It's just like you know, there's something <laughs> wrong with it. Like you know, it probably doesn't. You know, uh, what is it? Decompose over like the course of a year. You know, you can sit it outside. Ants won't touch it. They're like, that's not food. You know, that's the that is the mac and cheese that I want. That's the craving that I get. Oh my! And it is it is the white trashiest thing. Like every time I bite into it, I'm like, you know what sounds like a good idea? Like a mobile home. And like I take another (laughs) bite, and I'm just like, you know what? I like meth. Like and just like I just keep eating it. Hey baby, give me Miller Lite. Yeah, give me Miller Lite. Where's that trucker hat that I used to wear all the time? Like, what what I do with my spit can? Where'd that, yeah. where'd that go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, it, it, we all got our own little tendencies there. <laughs> <laughs> tendencies to white trash, you know? Yeah, I mean, every now and again, I'll, I have the, 
I want to put on a NASCAR shirt right. and some light colored blue jeans and some boots and go to a pool hall right. and walk out smelling like cigarettes, drinking yeah, I mean, beer from a pitcher. Yeah. Like, that's what I want to do. Yeah, I mean, like every time I eat that mac and cheese, like I want to listen to Slipknot and change my last name to Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> if Hayes is listening, we love you. We love um, you. We miss you, buddy. Um, so uh, moving on to some more traditions of Thanksgiving. There's, of course, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Uh, that's a, a big deal, and uh, I didn't do any research on the history of it because what? Uh, it's, it's just it's, been around since like it's the in New early twentieth century in New York. Yeah. Um, I think they started televising it in like the 50s, 60s. Yeah. And then it sort of kind of grew out from there. Like, you know, the floats have gotten out of control. Honestly, I think the the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is the only thing that still floats Macy's. You know? Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean it's, it's ironic that Macy's puts on floats in a parade and then the thing that floats the company seems to be that parade. Because I've Cause never I don't know, been in a Macy's. I've been in a Macy's before and it's like... Any Belk, Parisians, JCPenney. Oh, do they like, still have Parisians? Oh, I Parisians guess they don't. Dead. Parisians is dead. Parisians was bought out by Belk. But like, oh, okay. I, okay. for some reason, I can't differentiate Parisians and Belk. They used to be in that the mall we were. Yeah. There wasn't the Macy's in the mall that we grew up with. It was a Parisians and a JCPenney and a, like a, a, a Dillard's. I don't know how. Yeah, when Dillard's. Dillard's came along. Yeah. And Sears. Well, then that died. But So... I mean that's what I'm. That's what it's very much like. I mean it's not. It's not upscale. It's not yeah. like you're going to a. But they make you think it. They put on a show. I mean they like, put on a show, but I mean it's the same thing. I mean I think the difference between Belk and Macy's is probably the difference between Walmart and Target. You yeah. know, just aesthetics. Yeah, I mean like people might feel better about shopping at a Macy's than they do at shopping at Belk or something yeah. like that if they're in the South. Because uh, the Belk is a Southern thing. I yeah, think. and I, I never knew that uh, until. Like, I think I went to Bridge Street here, and like on the side it says real Southern style, and I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I didn't know y'all were targeting. I mean, half of the people you sell to call you belt. So, like, yeah, what? or belts, or something like that. I mean, it's, old, old I women mean, who don't know how to say it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, so I mean, that's, that's the way it, it's been. I mean, I honestly, I watched the Thanksgiving Day Parade for two reasons. The first reason is because as soon as that Santa Claus is, Santa Claus crosses that finish line, <laughs> I consider that pretty much Christmas. So it's like, okay, he's crossed the line. As soon as I've eaten the inaugural turkey, then I'm a, then my the 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 curtain has been drawn. You are allowed to put up a Christmas tree. Yep. Now I'm not saying I'm rushing to do that, but like that is the marker. That's like it, that's I allow. I allow Christmas decorations to begin going up, you know. And music to start being listening to. Right, I mean, I don't care if you put Halloween decorations up in June, but, like, for some reason, I want to keep Christmas at least maintained, too. I mean, like, personally, I think the kickoff is Black Friday. Because, I mean, like, why not, like, after you've eaten a ton and then you just go try to murder people for, you know, a $2 Game Boy. That's the way I look at it. Like, then Christmas is finally here. that's what sort of where we differ a little bit. I, I I stick to like I think holidays have specific months. 
Like you don't you don't go past those months. Now there are exceptions to the rule. Um, I mean, I don't see putting up fall decorations in September is fine because they're going to last till November. Mm-hmm. Now you, you sort of spook them up a little bit in October. Uh, you, you sort of get that thing spooky fast. That's being a little facetious. I mean, I don't really put up. I mean, August came around and y'all was ready. We were ready because it's our favorite holiday. I but know. Like, it's my but favorite we're not too, putting but... stuff up, though. Yeah. Know. You know, I'm yeah. just uh, shopping for it. <laughs> um, now, granted. Well, I know cats that shop for Christmas in September. So it's it like. It's frustrating. It is. It is. Yeah. But, like, I had to tailor my thing with the revelation of finding out that the 12 days of Christmas, the first day is the 25th. So I'm like, oh, oh, so. The twelfth day of Christmas is in January. Okay, well we can extend it to January, mm-hmm. a little bit of January. Like I've had to adjust myself, um, and I've started to really not care. Like this year, I've been like, you know what? I'm not going to make a more conscious effort. Now, what did make me mad? So two years ago, it was October twenty seventh, and I'm driving around downtown Hartsville, Alabama. I want everybody to know the name of this shit house town. <laughs> I'm driving around downtown, uh, which they have a fine downtown. I mean, it looks like any old, you know, small town America town right. with a little, little, like a little main street. They had the lights up. They were not on, but they were the freaking like snowflake, uh, present, Santa Claus face, reef hanging on the freaking lampposts. And I was... It is October 27th. Halloween had not even got here yet, and you've already hung that crap up. I was really frustrated. But what made me more mad was this year, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to get mad about it. Because at least they had, like, orange coloring and hay, like, up on the light post. So, like, it looked Halloween-ish and fallish. And they went ahead and put them up. They didn't have the lights on, and I was fine. That, that was cool. Uh, but, you know, it's November 7th, and I'm going down there, and they're up, but the lights aren't on. I'm like, what are you doing like, you've already committed. You've put the lights up. Why are they not on? Mm-hmm. Like, the storefronts had their Christmas lights on, and you're not going to put these lights that you've already ruined October with? You're not going to turn them on? <laughs> like, what are these people thinking? Well, it's just sort of aggravating. And the fact that you go into any old Walmart or uh, Hobby Lobby, and Christmas is up in October, sometimes September. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying not to let it bother me this year. I've actually listen to some Christmas music this month because I like Christmas music. I mean, I've, but there's a time and place. For I've it. let it go to a certain extent because it seems like I'm just out of the loop now that I've gotten older. I don't watch television, so I don't see the commercials out the gate. Yeah. And I think that's what really kills me. Yeah. Is when you're like, you know, you watch it. Let's say I was watching a football game in yeah. October. Yeah. And then it cuts to a family in snow. You know what they're doing. It's yeah. an automobile, right? You know, and it's just like shut summer. Up. Uh, it's the seasons of season of savings event mm-hmm. at, your, at your local Mercedes Benz dealership. Yeah, like, whatever you know. Get out of here. Not a fan, but I mean, like, I'm not even a fan. But like I said, the second so crosses finish line, Christmas yep. is on. Yep. And the second thing is, is as soon as that Santa Claus crosses and they go, all right, everyone, see y'all next year, have a good 2019 or whatever. I don't give a crap about this entire parade. I basically hate everything in it. You know, it's just a bunch of lip syncing, a bunch of waving. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care about those floats, man. Like, that parade could get canceled. But what does matter to me is what happens next. And what happens next is the dog show. And I watched that dog show so religiously <laughs> that I've actually instilled it in my wife's family to watch that dog show. The, like, it's, I think 
when we started dating, they were watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And they're like, Santa Claus is about to cross the finish line. I was like, oh, that's my entrance cue. So I walk in there or whatever, and I sit down on the couch. He waves. They turn off the TV, and I go, what are you doing? Turn it back on right now. The dog show's on. And they're like, what are you talking about? I was like, the, the dog show? The, the national AKC? dog show? It's every, yeah, it's like the AKC or the Kennel Club, something. I was like, turn it on. And sure enough, they turn on the dog show. And you could tell that they were, they thought I was joking to a certain extent. And I was not joking. I was dead serious. I was like, I want this dog show on. I'm watching it all the way through. And yeah, like I said, like I usually pass that around sports breed and then I wake up for best in show and that's my Thanksgiving. <laughs> you have a very, uh, I, I, I don't feel like you're the only one that does that, but I love that dog. It's show. awesome. I mean, that's it's awesome. the best. I make sure it's recorded too. I go back through the sports breed and I'm like, yeah, that stupid dog. No one cares, you know, but <laughs> okay. So that's the parade and the dog show in a nutshell. Um, uh, sort of another big thing is football. Um, uh, first with pro, I mean, the NFL has been um, having a game on Thanksgiving every year. Um, pretty much since the, since the inception of the NFL, there has been an NFL game on Thanksgiving, uh, with the exception of World War II. There, there wasn't. But, um, and traditionally, uh, there's always two games. Here recently, there's been three games now. Uh, but always, the Cowboys and the Lions are always the home team every year so those two are your home teams you're, you're like they're dead set and then of course whoever they play and then there's been a like a more primetime game that's been brought in lately um so you got three pro games uh now college it's a little different because usually i don't here lately there's been more of a of a you know putting games on thanksgiving but most time um, there's usually Black, Fr- Black Friday games. Um, I know that, um, well, before I get into that, most time Thanksgiving is like rivalry week for college football teams. So like the, the big ones are, um, of course, the, the Apple Cup between Washington and Washington State, the Civil War between Oregon and Oregon State, the Iron Bowl between Alabama and uh, Auburn. Um, now, uh, of course, there's, there's others too. Um, but... I know for a while they were experimenting the Iron Bowl on Black Friday. And I remember one particular one because it is one where Alabama, <laughs> I was watching it, and uh, I had to go to work at halftime but, uh, or shortly after halftime. But Alabama was up like 21 nothing, And uh, that was, that was your, like, Cam Newton, like, came back and they won after halftime. <laughs> like, I, I, Auburn ended up winning. But what was the way I remember that, is because at halftime was the breaking news that like Tiger Woods had like been beaten by his wife. Mm. Like that was the same, that was the same um, uh, year. Uh, but yeah, so um, here lately, I think they've started putting some games on Thursday. Um, but yeah, it's a big rivalry week thing for for college football. But that's a big thing, like you know, all across America. I mean, no matter if you're in the southeast. Uh, the Midwest, like it's it's a big thing. Now, granted, it, it varies. Like in the Southeast, you know, the college stuff is a lot more prominent, a lot more watched. The Midwest and like the West is probably a little bit more pro leaning. You know, watching the watching the Packers and all them people mm-hmm. and, the, and the Bears, all those. I mean, people people watch that all the time. Um, but yeah, that and then now naturally, you know, you, it's football on Thanksgiving, it's basketball on Christmas. So we'll say basketball for. Um, 
The Christmas. The Christmas one. Um, uh, let's see here. Now, we touched on Black Friday. Um, and The football Black Friday is kind of where I fall off. Yeah. I, I am an internet person. Like, if I... Shopping to me is... I don't understand how going and fighting people oh, is yeah. interesting. Now, football is fine as long as it's on in the background. I'm just not particularly interested. Yes. Um, I just don't have any... I don't have any spirit for these... Anything, you know? I didn't really go to any college that matters. Yeah. And then, like, as far as an SEC team or something like that, so I have no dog in that race. And then Black Friday, it's like, I mean, every sale is online. Why wouldn't I order it before and exactly. be done with it? I mean, our Christmas was done November 5th. Yeah. I mean, I was done shopping November 5th. I mean, it's just done. I'm just done. You know, most of the stuff that you have to get for people is small and thoughtful. Yes. So I'm not going to get a Black Friday savings anyway. Yeah. The only reason I'm going out for Black Friday is if I can get a 20 7,000 inch TV for two bucks and I'm, I'm not going to get it because I'm not going <laughs> to sleep outside on Thanksgiving in front of some Best Buy. No. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't really want to get too much into Black Friday either. I mean, it's just, it is, it is what it is. It's a, it's a time for people to get out and be monsters to one another and it be acceptable. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, you know, it is what it is. I, we're not going to stay on that too long. Um, actually, we're, we're moving out right now. Uh, me and uh, uh, Ann, we usually subscribe to the uh, opt-out side for Black Friday. I know I don't. other people have done it. Uh, I know REI is one of the big people that do it. I think now they're doing a little bit more of a coalition of, you know, do more than just opt-out side, sort of like pick up trash and stuff. So, yeah, usually me and Ann usually will we'll go hiking on Black Friday. Yeah. Um, so we avoid we avoid all that, and we just go hike. Um, I think last year we did 11 miles and then went and, like, chowed down on some Asian food. So, yeah. like, it really wasn't even, like, we gained it all back. Yeah. Um, and, and me, it's like, you know, my Black Friday is, is, is Thanksgiving part two. So, okay. like, you know, I just, ours rolls in. No one in my family really does Black Friday, so... Yeah. It rolls into the part two of, of Thanksgiving. Yeah. And uh, so, like, my Thanksgiving day proper is at my in-laws, and then Thanksgiving, Black Friday Thanksgiving, is at my brother's. Oh, okay. So, like, I spend the day at my brother's house, like, you know, and our family is just a bunch of trash talkers. So we talk trash while we cook. Then we eat, we pass out, we wake up, we talk trash, we exit. Like, that's pretty much it, so. Um... Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's really not that much for Black Friday. Um, and then, of course, there's, you know, another big thing is charity when it comes to Thanksgiving. You know, it's a time to be, um, you know, either with food drives or soup kitchens, Salvation Army, things like that. It's, you know, again, it's a time to give thanks and also um, help others who who need it. Um, so, the, you know, that's always a big thing, and I think that sort of is what sort of sucks. You know, we talked about it a little bit earlier what that's what sucks about the food and the football mm-hmm. and the parades mm-hmm. and the Black Friday overshadowing a lot of this because to me Thanksgiving's a better holiday than Christmas because you get to be with people and you get to have a good time with your family that right. you know, people that you love and there is no obligation of gifts. No, just, yeah, that's what's so nice about it. You know, because it's supposed to be fellowship, I would assume, and I would assume for both to a certain extent. That's why yeah. I always think that like 
the smaller, more thoughtful things to show someone that you care. Like yeah. the, the most insulting thing that I can get someone typically is a gift card. Yeah. But then again, you know, I understand the idea of, hey, I mean, here's your money. I don't know what you want. You know that's more true, what you but want. that's the problem. It's like if you yeah. didn't know, why are you giving them a gift? Exactly. So I mean, that's sort of where I've gone to. Like, man, I don't really buy gifts except for like my mom and dad and like my uncles. Like, because like my siblings don't need anything. Like, like Patrick and I swap tobacco. You know, yeah. when we do stuff. I mean, it's small. I don't have to worry about a break of the bank. Yeah. It's Most just, of the time, I don't have to. I just go back to my reserve and then hand over something. You yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, Yes, yeah, I mean it's it's real it's real easy, and you know eventually I want to get to the point where I'm just like making stuff for people, like like woodworking or mm-hmm. or um, leather whatever. Just I, I just want to be able to make something, yeah. and then it just that way it's like you know I enjoyed the process of making it, and maybe it'll be useful for you. Yeah, you know that you know that's where I want to get. It's to. It's more thoughtful. Yeah, you definitely put more energy into it too. Yeah, so that that's sort of where I want to want to get to whenever. We get into this new house and all this and get, get settled in. Um, one last thing about Thanksgiving, it's a little crazy, is turkey pardoning. So that's been a thing since uh, 1947. <laughs> uh, the National Turkey Federation uh, would present the President of the United States uh, a live turkey uh, and uh, two dressed turkeys. Uh, and of course, um, that's where you would eat or whatever you know he, he would I don't know I don't know what he would do all I know is that JFK was the first president to spare the turkey that was given to him the live one mm-hmm. and uh, he gave it back to um, some um, I don't know where he gave it to he, he gave it to some local something I don't know um, and then Ronald Reagan was the first one to give it a presidential pardon hmm. so like he sort of made it a little bit more Formal, right? Uh, I guess. Um, which was funny. We, me and Zach saw something earlier. It was saying that there was going to be like a formal hearing, or or that uh, no, a, a court was intervening to the keep, Ninth Circuit Court. Yeah, the Ninth Circuit Court was going to intervene and not let Trump pardon this turkey. <laughs> <laughs> and that sort of states where we're at. No, this is not necessarily like within direct relation of it but i always wondered if like the pardoning had to do with the fact that at the beginning of the state's uh you know founding yes um before we settled on the bald eagle as the national bird there was debate over it being the turkey which was presented by benjamin franklin franklin actually wanted the national bird to be a turkey he thought that the eagle was sort of like standard and he thought that the turkey was more representative for some reason of the united states you can probably do more research on that mm. but originally the turkey was was put on the table as the national bird wow hmm that is interesting there's another theory that the the origins of pardoning the turkey is from the uh harry truman uh, administration mm-hmm. um because um, or, or I don't know why that that's the case, but some people even say it could be further back in time with Abraham Lincoln because he uh, pardoned his son's Christmas turkey. No. Now that may lead into the, mm-hmm. you know, what you. Were I don't doing. know if there's like still like a sort of ongoing respect for the bird 
because of the way it was presented as supposedly the national bird. But, like, I do know that the turkey was originally put forth by Benjamin Franklin as to be the national bird. I, I guess that got uh, overruled for the bald eagle, yeah. which is a more traditional kind yeah. of bird. And I think the eagle's been around. I mean, the Germans have the eagle, the, the Romans have the eagle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the eagle's been around for a long time. It makes That's sense. probably why, like, Franklin, as an iconoclast, wanted to go against that, but at the same time, it's probably why it got risen to the ranks anyway, to yeah. being the national bird. I mean, could you could you see, like, those patriotic commercials of, like, American flag flying and then, like, a turkey phasing in from behind it? And, like, you hear, like, you hear, like, the national anthem behind that with right. the turkey. Like, I mean... Well, in a way, I mean, like, you know, you would have, like, it would, it would be sort of a weird sense of pride. Turkeys are such a, 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 I think they're a relatively intelligent bird, too. Yeah. Uh, because I know people who turkey hunt say that they're really clever, and they're difficult to hunt. Mm. Um, they actually have, like, I mean, the turkeys do have, like, very strange brooding patterns, all kinds of mm. weird stuff like that, where they, like, they actually have, like, scouts, like, other turkeys will scout, kind of. Really? Yeah. Like, wow. I, I think that's the way it works. I think they, they, they kind of, like... They sort of roam in packs, and then, like, they're, like, a scouting bird that goes ahead so that the other birds know that there's, like, predatory element. It's very peculiar. They're a very strange bird. Like, do not... Okay, on anything I say on this podcast, sometimes sometimes I'm not always, like, the most well-researched. Some of this stuff is just, like, fading memories from years past, so I definitely would backtrack everything I say. Correct me on Instagram. Correct me on any channel you want. I'm totally fine with that. I don't mind. I like to be right. So when I'm told I'm wrong, I'll just figure adjust. out why. I'll just adjust. It's not a problem. But same, like so, same with me. So so both. But like but I'm just talking off the cuff. So try not to hold me to some sort of empirical evidence kind of situation. This is not a science. But uh, yeah. So. Well, yeah. Uh, so that hopefully uh, will. Uh, be a nice little thing to tie everyone over till next month, next month. when we get together for Christmas 2019 yes. podcast. Um, and we will be talking about the traditions of Christmas, both historical. It's going to be a lot of interesting things going on. Yeah. Like I said, I am reading a book as of mm-hmm. right now. I read it almost every year, but I'll be taking some notes and bringing them to the table. There's some very fascinating things about the origins of Christmas. And the traditions that we hold dear, and maybe some things that can be more enlightening, hopefully the way this Thanksgiving is. You didn't guys know, I mean, you didn't know that you were going to hear about cannibalism, sure enough, that's, that's, how, it, that's how it rolls, so I'm at the bottom of my bowl, what about you? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm down, so um, again, till next month, uh, happy uh, smoking. Yeah, and happy Thanksgiving. When you smoke with us, you smoke with the best. Pace is lightning, expectations high. It's gonna come at you fast, come at you hot, gonna come at you wet.